The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual guests. What's going on, my Go Squad? Welcome to the Armed Citizen Podcast Live. This is episode number 280. Today's date is Tuesday, February 21st, 2023. Welcome to the live show. We're streaming live, as always, on YouTube. If you're out there uh, in the chat, go ahead and say something. We don't know that you're out there unless you do. Uh, Whoever is in the back, mute up, guys. Mute up. Um, If you're out there, like I said, go ahead and say something. We don't know that you're out there unless you do. Uh, if you want to text in the show, go ahead and utilize the Ghost Tactical Hotline presented by our good friends Rod and Shelly Gates of Aegis Gun Care. That number is 530-364-4678. Make sure you go check out AegisGunCare.com. If you're a veteran, really anybody, but especially if you're a veteran and you're in that, that hole, you're in the darkness and you're looking for that light, call me, text me, email me 24-7. I cannot give you any medical advice, but I could probably be a pretty decent ear and talk you through some stuff. If you are looking to get into um, some medical attention and all of that, remember two things. One, you're not alone in this fight. You've got a lot of brothers out here that are willing and able to help you in any way possible. And two, the world is a much better place with you in it. So please, utilize the Veteran Crisis Hotline. 1-800-273-8255. Once again, 1-800-273-8255. As always, we are spotlighting the United States Marine Corps. If you have any questions on what it takes to earn the title United States Marine, see the website marines.com. And as always, we're a proud member of the Self-Defense Radio Network. Go check out all your favorite pro-gun, pro-2A podcasts over at selfdefenseradio.net. So let me um, get this off of my ugly mug and bring this ugly mug onto the screen as well. What's going on, guys? How are y'all doing? Hope you guys are doing well. Hope you guys are having a great Tuesday. Um, If you are out there, like I said, make sure you say something because we don't know that you're out there and all that. But let's say hello to our esteemed panel. Yes, I said esteemed. Um, All the way from the only state that has four letters. It takes two people to spell it out. From the weird state of Ohio, we got Chris from the 740. What's up, homie? Hey, thanks for the invite. Glad to be here. Look forward yeah, to tonight. This should be a fun topic. Yeah, you know, I, I actually, um, I, this is a question, and I guess we take it for granted a lot of times. I get this question emailed me or, or text or something or comment in a video several times a week and have forever. And we've we probably talked about it over the years, but it's just something that people keep bringing up and I guess there's a lot of new gunners maybe that are getting into ARs or getting into a rifle of some sort and they're looking to get an optic. And this is just a topic that always seems to pop up. And so I figured we would talk about it because there's a lot of different ways and a lot of different distances to zero your rifle, depending on upon what you're actually trying to accomplish with that firearm. So it'll be a fun one. Um, out from Arizona, uh, we've got the soulless ginger bastard himself. What's up? Oh, not much. Sorry about that. I uh, thought I muted my mic. <laughs> oh, I didn't know who it was, but I was, on, so, I, I was like, I was like, 
I know I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I can hear shit. Like, I'm like, I I get like easily distracted. Like, what the hell is that? (laughs) I cracked open my Pepsi and uh, definitely. Well, that's your first mistake. Pepsi? Come on, man. Come on. It's Wild Cherry. It's what I had, what the wife likes. You got to get what the wife likes sometimes. Come on, man. But Uh, so I uh, started buying these little small Cokes. uh, One, it makes me feel like really big because my hand. but I find myself, I don't know if you guys are the same way. Do you find yourself like not drinking all of the soda all the time? And so I was like, you know what? These little minis are like perfect because I can finish these, you know? Pretty good. Anyways. That, hap- that happens from time to time. From time to time, it does happen. Yes. And from the great state of Texas, our quasi co host at this point, he's always riding shotgun with us. As a matter of fact, I often send him the wrong link. Not even to my chat, just some random make up a bunch of random letters and numbers on StreamYard, similar link, but he always seems to find his way in. I don't know how he does it. Maybe because he's a magical leprechaun. Let's say hello to the tactical virus. I mean, leprechaun himself. What's up, Chloe? It's funny how that eighth dimension works. It? Apparently it is. I mean, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, like I said, I, I don't understand how Screaming Skull Saloon says jolt. Um, so jolt came out when I was like a teenager, maybe, you know, like, I don't know. It was late eighties, early nineties or something. That was like the first quote unquote, like energy drink. And, uh, I didn't particularly like it, but I think people liked the idea of the crazy energy drink. And this is, if you're, if I remember correctly, there was a pretty hard crash with Jolt. Do you guys ever drink Jolt growing up or anything? Oh yeah. What was the yeah. other one? There was the the green ca- surge, the one they just brought. Yeah, back. I think that was like the Mountain Dew owned one, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah, I never had any of that. I never had any of that. I was I'm not a big energy drink guy, uh, although uh, not because it's called Ghost, but uh, I did have some Ghost energy drinks at Shot Show, um, and they're pretty good. But I get a, I get a text from from Chase, and I don't know why he's not here. He was cooking something, but he might be here a little bit later couple days ago and he's like oh my god i guess ghost energy drinks now has a um orange and uh cream flavor that tastes like a dream sickle or a push-up and he said it's to die for so i gotta go find someone around here that's carrying those things and apparently it's pretty pretty awesome so i gotta try that probably it's good is it you've had it mm-hmm. i think they also make a swedish fish flavor if you're oh, interested in that. really yes I did like the Sour Patch Kid one. That was pretty good. My favorite was the uh, Blueberry one. That was pretty good. But uh, I think I might enjoy, if it tastes anything like a Dreamsicle or a push-up, Dreamsicles, man, it brings back some serious memories back in the day. So I'm, I might enjoy that one. We'll see, Monster's you know. got one of those out now, too, the Orange Sickle thing. Went, oh, it, yeah. It's hard to find that one. Yeah. Uh, real quick, uh, G23 is out there, and he asked a great question last week. Um, about how much money we raised last year um, with Super Chats and all of that. And it was a great question. And obviously, he was a huge part of it. He and Mandatory Carry, thank you guys, are consistently awesome with that. Um, over $2,600 was raised. Uh, and they say that each, the average, now obviously some are more, some are less, um, but the average care package, they say, is about $15. So we spent 
and we, we've sent almost almost 200 care packages on average uh, in, the, in 2022. So thank you. That was really awesome. Thank you guys for uh, always doing that. Like I said, we don't ask, we don't encourage super chats, but the super chats that do come through, um, those go towards some organizations that send care packages down range. So it's pretty awesome. Now what, how does yeah. 200 convert to a squad or a platoon or a whatever? So uh, a platoon, and, and we're talking basic numbers here. Sure. A platoon's typically like, 30 to 40 people let's say oh wow um you know a company you're talking probably a couple hundred a, a battalion is typically a typically is about a thousand so i would say we probably were able to send at least like on average like an entire company maybe even two companies um worth of care packages so that's awesome that's awesome wow um yeah Pretty, pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, 200, 200 care packages is all, is a lot. Um, so yeah, it's great. Now, FUD, uh, tactical FUD buck out there, my buddy. Um, we are going to get a Whataburger in Cersei, which is about 40 minutes from me. Oh, hell yes. Um, hell yeah. Hey, hey, Risa, we're getting a, they're getting a Whataburger in Cersei. She's like, good. She's not feeling well. Um, that's amazing to hear. I'm loving that. Loving that. Uh, let's see here. So yeah, thank you to everybody out there in 2022, uh, a little over $2,600. So, um, yeah, that's awesome. I'm very, very, very happy about that. So thank you. And I hope that answers your question. G23. Like I said, G23 was very instrumental in that. Um, since day one, we've been doing this now for a few years and he's been, uh, constantly doing that. So, uh, and he's going through some issues right now. I know he uh, put on his channel and all that. Uh, go check out G23's channel. He's going through a rough patch right now, and he's doing a little fundraiser to help with offset some medical and travel expenses and all that. So if you guys are able and willing to help, uh, please, please go help out G23. He helps out a lot of people in this community. Um, so maybe it's time for us to pay it forward back to him a little bit. And um, so if you're able to, look, any, anything helps. A dollar, you know, you've got more, whatever. Anything that you're able or willing to, uh, please uh, go check out his channel. Go check out his Instagrams, whatever. And I'm sure he's got links and all of that. I just PayPal them. Um, easiest for me, but um, but yeah, he's got all sorts of fun stuff out there. So yeah, um, so that is amazing. How many troops? They well, he must have just come in. They they say the average care package is fifteen dollars each. Now obviously some are going to be more, some are going to be less, but the average is they say is fifteen dollars. And so we helped. Roughly, you know, 150 to 200 um, care packages go down range. So that's pretty awesome. So thank you again. Uh, Clove, speaking of shotguns, uh, you got a shotgun of the week for us, bud? Mm, the Franke's Instinct side plate. Let's go with that one. I'm sorry? The Franke Instinct okay. side plate. Okay. Over and under, got some engraving on it. Okay. Available on pretty much all the gauges, which is cool because the only gauge yeah. that really matters is 28 gauge. But <laughs> uh, 28 gauge is, is pretty tough to come by these days, isn't it? As far as the firearms? Yeah. Yeah. You know, during uh, when there was literally nothing on the shelves, you could find 28 gauge shells. 
you know. There's just not a whole lot of people making 28-gauge shells, I guess. Of, there's not a lot of variety, I will say that, in 28-gauge shells. Most of what you see is the Winchester AA. Yeah, um, okay. But, yeah, not a lot of people are making the um, making actual shotguns in 28-gauge. Certainly not making semi-autos is what I'm waiting on. Yeah. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, yeah. Well, we did a couple polls. You guys know that every Thursday, Saturday, and Monday at 10 a.m., we have our ghost tactical polls um, over our community tab. And starting next week, those polls will not be called the ghost tactical polls. We'll just give you a little, give you a little uh, idea. We'll, uh, we'll have someone that's sponsoring the polls. So um, those will be something else starting next week, which is awesome. And um, kind of kind of come with a cool name for them, so it'll be all right. But uh, we always put out, we have some fun, and let's go through them real quick. Yesterday's poll, um, put out yesterday's, got 1.2 thousand votes. Favorite 90s grunge band. Here are your five choices, guys. And go ahead and put these out there in the, in the chat as well, your favorite 90s grunge band. Nirvana, Soundgarden, Alice in Change, Stone Temple Pilots, and Pearl Jam. Uh, let's start with Chris. Um, favorite 90s grunge band, man. Man, I struggled on this one because <laughs> there they're was all, one band all, out of those great, that I literally way. hated. Yeah. So yeah. They, I, they were excluded out. But I I went back and forth between Soundgarden and Alice in Chains, but I ended yeah. up picking Alice in Chains because I, I think understand. I listened to them more than I did Soundgarden. Yeah, uh, I I love all of them for different reasons. Um, it's very difficult for me. Um, the best two voices, like Chris Cornell, and it's everybody else. Let's just be honest with oh, you. Yeah. Um, sure. But people don't understand, like Lane's voice in a weird way was unbelievable. Um, he had a great voice. Uh, and if you really want to listen to a, the best Alice in Chains, um, go find the Alice in Chains Unplugged. And Lane literally came out of rehab like the day before, and they weren't even sure he was going to show up. And you're talking about some vocals and all that. That's a, they, For me, that was like the epitome. And so with Nirvana, my favorite Nirvana is the Unplugged side of things. Uh, great stuff. Uh, but yeah, Lane's great. Chris Cornell's great. Um, all of these guys had great voices. I, I, you know, maybe not Kurt Cobain, but Kurt Cobain had a great voice for what it was um, in a weird, weird-ass way. But, yeah. Um, Ginger, favorite 90s grunge band? All right. So First I'm of all, you weren't even born in the 90s. So First know. off, I, I was born in the 90s. <laughs> I lived through the 90s, mm. uh, but... Uh, I didn't, don't remember most of it because I was yeah. a wee lad. Uh, I would have to say Nirvana because that's probably the only one I know the most of. Okay. Um, sure. I mean, if this was like 2000s alt rock and, you know, I, I'd have like multiple choices, but this yeah, is not sure. that. Yeah. Uh, Clove, what about you? Nirvana. Nirvana. Was it always Nirvana for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I listen. I listen to everything, so I've certainly yeah. listened to the other one. STP is 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 up there. So yeah, like maybe that probably my second, but Nirvana, yeah. went number one. You know, I, I say remember, that ah, you know, and I'm, th and I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, man, like I don't know, Pearl Jam was pretty solid too. But that, yeah, I think I think I go I go Nirvana at the top. 
Yeah, I like I said, I love all of these bands for different reasons. Uh, Nirvana was the first grunge that I really heard um, because before and even world famous, I guess they were they were famous in certain ways. But my my cousin, who is like an older sister to me, um, for Christmas when I was like fifteen or something, fourteen or fifteen, gave me the Nevermind CD for Christmas, and I had never heard of them. And I put that CD on. I was like, holy, sh-, you know, because you, know, you understand that the ni- 1990, 91, we're coming off of five or six years of bubblegum hair bands, aside, yeah. from, aside from Guns N' Roses. Well, and Guns N' Roses was kind of the first one to kind of bring that really rock back. So Nirvana was like, wow, okay, we're getting away from the hair bands, which I, mm-hmm. I, I love hair bands in a certain way, but I did not like them overall, you know? Well, and with Nirvana... What what I think with Nirvana, like the you know, take you went you went the vocal side. I'm gonna go a different route. I'm gonna go the actual music side of it. Yeah. Right. So with Nirvana, very for simple. that for that era coming out of hair band and all, Nirvana leaned really heavy into some pretty groovy bass lines. Yep. Yep. And then Cobain's Fender Jaguar. I mean, yeah. who who in their right mind yeah. played played rock or grunge, I guess, is an extension of that, right? Or yeah. rock or metal or whatever. But that, who would ever think, like, I'm going to use a Fender Jaguar? Like, well, I, I, And I'll take you a step further. And the sound it, is distinct with that, just like a Telecaster oh, yeah. or a Strat. The well, it's just, like, it's just like when it's, you hear Slash play, you know that's it's Slash. You yeah, know? it's a Gibson. Yeah. It's a Gibson, and you know it from the second you hear it. But the cool thing about Dave Grohl, if people don't know about Dave Grohl, he's now the lead singer of Foo Fighters, and he's going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame under two bands, which is kind of cool. Um, he was a drummer, and if you ever see, he doesn't talk about it very often, but I saw an interview a while ago that he was talking about being the drummer for Nirvana and the inspiration. He said, I was not a very good drummer. Um, but where he got his inspiration for the drum uh, lines for Nevermind was a lot of disco, a lot of Gap Band, the Gap Band. He said, I would listen to a lot of disco stuff in it. And if you're a drummer, you understand what the disco rhythm was and the drum beats. And if you listen to Nevermind, it's a, I mean, it's the Gap Band and these all these other disco, you know. Um, well, have you seen all of the mashups between like Nirvana and disco, like the Bee Gees? No, I haven't. Well, that makes sense because of the drum yeah. lines for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a lot of mashups out there with disco and Nirvana that people have woven together. And yeah. it meshes so well. You're like, oh, yeah. wow. I mean, they got to slow one down or speed one up, sure. obviously, with a tempo or something like that. But, like, everything, the bass lines, just, like, everything matches up. There's a lot of disco in, in, in Nirvana. Um, yeah, like Nirvana. I love the music. Soundgarden was 100%. The first time I ever heard Spoon Man and these different things from Soundgarden, like, Chris Cornell's voice. And actually, I had heard that before really Soundgarden, when, when Pearl Jam came out big, right after that, they released the Temple of the Dog album, which was basically Pearl Jam with Chris Cornell singing also with them that they did before uh, 10 came out uh, for Pearl Jam, but they released it afterwards. And I'm sitting there listening, say hello to heaven. And I'm like, who is this voice? Like, this is unbelievable. So from that day on, like, I've been a huge Chris Cornell fan. So anything he did, whether it was Soundgarden, or uh, Audio Slave, whatever it is. Um, to me, Audio Slave was like one of the best things ever because I was a huge Rage Against the Machine fan. 
Tom Morello is a huge, huge favorite of mine yeah. with guitar. And now you add Chris Cornell, like, oh, okay, this is perfect. But yeah, Soundgarden was definitely on there because of Chris Cornell. Allison Change, once again, um, just listening to Lane sing was amazing. STP, you know, Scott singing was just the voice. And then Pearl Jam was actually probably the most successful until 94 when Cobain, then Nirvana has just become this thing, this mystic thing. Uh, Pearl Jam was probably the most commercially successful. Um, and, and, and people just take it for granted. But if you guys ever listened to Eddie Vedder's voice, Eddie right. Vedder's got a beautiful, distinctive voice. So, I mean, all of them had pretty good voices, but there were a lot of talent coming out, of, except for STP, but... All these other ones came out of, of Seattle STP. I think it was L.A. or San Francisco. I think it was L.A. Um, but great, 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 great stuff. Great, great stuff. Uh, 42% of the people say Nirvana. Uh, and second place with 24% is Alice in Chains. Third place with 16% is Pearl Jam. Fourth place with 10% was Soundgarden. And coming in deadass last at 9% was STP. Um, interesting. Interesting. It doesn't surprise me that Nirvana won. Um, I, for me, I was more of a Pearl Jam because you guys remember well, at least Chloe. I would have was, thought Pearl Jam would have been higher. You know, I, I think so. I, I, I do too. But you understand that you've got that Lane's dead and Cobain's dead. And I think that Alice in Chains and Nirvana kind of get a little bit more mystical because they're no longer uh, around. Maybe that's a, good point. That's a good point. A little more because, nostalgia or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I think a lot of people, like my daughter um listens to a lot of 90s grunge stuff and you know she's more interested in nirvana at times because of the mystique of kurt cobain you know and, yeah. and then what would have happened with them you know who knows but yeah yeah so yeah uh the next poll uh came out saturday and it's got 1.3 thousand votes odd one i know favorite clint eastwood western your choices, Outlaw Josie Wales, Pale Rider, A Fistful of Dollars, Unforgiven, or The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Let's start with Ginger on this one. I'd have to say Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Uh, I didn't read the question all the way through when I saw it. I was going to say, why is Gran Torino not on this list? Oh, yeah, Western. Yeah, um, I mean, can we push it i mean it's slightly a western in modern times we all know your favorite ginger is bridges over madison county don't lie don't lie wow uh, you want my honest opinion one of my favorite cleanest with movies of all time um space cowboys just say oh, if you haven't seen yeah. it go watch it <laughs> yeah you're, you're, Actually, you'll thank me later that's one of my favorite for all four of them oh 100 right? absolutely yeah. yeah uh if you've never seen space cowboys enjoy go watch it and you'll understand why it's such a great great tommy lee jones uh donald sutherland clint eastwood and um james gardner, james gardner. and they're all hilarious in their own rights and it's just it's one of those great movies it really is great movie <laughs> but yeah this one says western so good bad and the ugly all right uh clover what about you they're all good you can't go wrong yeah, they're all good. And good and bad and ugly is probably more iconic, but you know, it's like favorite. Yeah. Probably Outlaw Josie Wells for me. That's mine. Favorite. Favorite. That's right? mine. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like they're iconic. I, I think the good, bad, and the ugly is a better movie. It's a better soundtrack. Like, for sure. 100% on that. Uh, <laughs> just know? the one song. Ooh, 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 you know, yeah, that's right? it. 
Right. Uh, but I, for something about, I, I remember, like, I think I want to say that Outlaw Josie Wales, and then there's a, a, a John Wayne Western called Rio Bravo. It had Dean oh, yeah. Martin and Ricky Nelson. Those were like the first two Westerns that I remember, I remember seeing with my dad as a kid. And so those are always going to be kind of special. But yeah, Outlaw Josie was my favorite. But yeah, Good, Bad, and the Ugly is probably the most iconic if you had yeah. to guess one. Um, yeah. Uh, Chris, what about you? Which one's your favorite? I got to go with the good, the bad, and the ugly. I mean, yeah. Uh, 100% great movie. Um, so let me ask you guys this before we go on and give the results. When it comes to Westerns, Westerns, Clint Eastwood, John Wayne. If you had to go, which one? Which one did you go? Eastwood. Eastwood? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chris, Ginger, which one? I'm going Eastwood. I I hate to say it. I never liked John Wayne. John either. Wayne is a generational thing. Like, I appreciate yeah. John Wayne, and it's not like I won't sit and watch a John Wayne Western. It's not like I've seen him over and over and over and over again. Yeah. But I think it's a generational thing. Like, for us, I think, like, our parents would say John Wayne. Yeah, probably. Right? And younger yeah. generations, who knows, right? Because you yeah. grow up in different times and whatever. But I think for our parents, John Wayne would be the most, most – get the most votes in that and then for us yeah. i think probably clint eastwood would eastwood yep yeah, i would yeah. agree it's it's really hard to say because i think wayne you had, don't know who either one of them are because you're so young well, well but we lost we lost john wayne but long before yeah was still i mean too, john so wayne died with the it, 80s would it be different right if john wayne was still around very well could be well you know what yeah. I mean? the, the thing is i think john wayne had more iconic characters than Eastwood, but Eastwood had better roles, and his movies were better. Prior, roles. prior to trying to mo more modern film, right? So, like yeah. Eastwood did a lot of western, and then moved back into things like, uh, what is it? Uh, the one with the monkey, every which way but lose, and, yeah. and all that. And then you had, then um, you had Dirty Harrys and all of those. Right, yeah. right, right. You get into the Dirty Harrys, you get into all of that, right? And so, I think that. I don't know. It's just like John Wayne was more of a mixture. I mean, there was a lot of crossover with John Wayne. Well, John Wayne was also became famous more of the war movies than that's the That's what Westerns. I'm saying. He was yeah. like a balance of military yeah. and, and cowboy or even like Civil War type cowboy, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, whereas Clint Eastwood, at least in the early days during kind of that time, was almost, it was almost all Western. Yeah. Uh, now, G brings up a great point. So John Wayne was a cop or a federal agent in most Clint Eastwood was against the law. Yeah. John Wayne was always like a sheriff or a marshal or, you know, some kind of, uh, of, of law enforcement, the hero, if you will. And Clint was always the, I mean, almost the anti-hero, but uh, it was, it was kind of a Batman Superman thing. Yeah. Yeah. Them almost, absolutely. Right? The, the and, maybe that's, and maybe that's why you kind of, can like both, you know, yeah. is they weren't competing for the same roles. They weren't doing the same thing um, kind of thing. Yeah, right. for sure. Right. Um, 1.3 thousand votes. 49% uh, say the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, oh, snap. Snob, favorite Clint East West Eastwood Western. I love Josie Wells. Thank you. All right. Uh, I agree. My my, that's my favorite. That's my favorite. Uh, but yeah, 49% uh, say the good, bad, and the ugly. 25% uh, in second place was Josie Wales. What the hell? Uh, third place was 16% was Unforgiven. Great one. Not not one of my favorites. Like, 
I, I don't like Unforgiven as, as much as a lot of other people. I'll just say that. I was always the best, like modern, like since the eighties. I think that Silverado is probably the best western after nineteen eighty. I just love that oh, movie. Absolutely. Um, that was Kevin Costner's like big, like like people didn't know who the hell he was, and then I just kind of, you know, I think he had been in a few things, but like Silverado was the first one he played Jake, and was like, oh, who is that guy? He's funny. Um, but yeah, in um, third place was I'm forgetting. Okay, in fourth place was six percent was Fistful of Dollars, and a four percent was Pale Rider. I uh, kind of suspect those last two getting just overshadowed by the top three, obviously. Um, so, and the last, the last one that came out last Thursday's got over two thousand votes. This is right up. Right up Clover's Alley here. Favorite type of shotgun. Brake action. Semi-auto. Pump. Lever action. Or bolt action. Let's start with Snob on this one. Favorite type of shotgun. Uh, either brake action over and under or a pump. Either one I'm fine with. Okay. All right. Um, Chris, let's start with you on this next one. Uh, type of shotgun. I Semi-auto for me. Okay. Uh, Ginger? <clears throat> I'm going to have to say pump, but you left one off the list, and I would say because it deserves its own slot, a slam fire. Slam fire shotguns are a blast. Technically, they're <laughs> pump. Come on, Snob. You know you love a good slam fire shotgun. I have one, but I have a piece of all thread to eject the shell with because it gets stuck in there every time. <laughs> I think the gunsmith that built it didn't do a good enough job smoothing that chamber or something. Yeah. Uh, Rother likes pumps. Um, you take that however you want to. Just saying. Take that however you want to. He likes pumps. Uh, let's bring in the resident FUD King, Super FUD, whatever weirdo so, shotgun guys. So be yeah. ready, guys. Be ready for about a 15, 20 minute answer here. At so uh, least. sit back and relax. At least. So, regardless of what the poll determines or what anybody okay, that was great out there Clover. Thanks for telling says, us. Yeah. There, there's only, <laughs> I was mute his ass. <laughs> there's only one correct answer here, and it is a double barrel. Can be in an over, under, or side by side. It can be either way, but it's got to be a double barrel. Uh, why? Simplicity of parts and design, without a okay. doubt. Um, and versatility because, you know, you can swap chokes and everything else. You've got two barrels, so why not, right? And, sure. Uh, yeah, that's the correct answer regardless. Okay. Um, fifth, oh, of the five that I put on there, <clears throat> 59, not a surprise, 59% say pump action or pump shotgun. Uh, let's see here. Second place, 34% semi-auto. And so people, and so so the second, the second, there's a lot of people out there that they don't really care whether the crap cycles or not. Nope. No, saying. they don't care. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Bit. That's that's fine. Yeah. Not one bit. And third place with a whopping four percent was brake action. And fourth place with a whopping two percent is lever. And at one percent bolt action, there's a probably the younger generation doesn't even realize that there are bolt action shotguns. You know, you know what's like, interesting about that poll. I have that, no idea. That goes that nothing goes honestly most, it's about shotguns. So hear me out here. That goes from most to least pretty much in order of how many of those types exist. Yeah. And you probably say, how they sell also. You, you know? say a whole lot of pumps, 
you see quite a bit of semi-auto, but not near as many pumps. Yep. I guess brake actions, if you threw in single shots and, you know, a lot of different things, maybe. But still, I mean, there's just not a ton that are manufactured and sold compared to, I think, pumps. And then levers and bolts, like you don't see any bolt shotguns anymore. That's what I'm saying. I, I, I'll be willing to bet the average 20-something-year-old yeah. doesn't even realize that bolt action mm -hmm. shotguns even are a thing. Uh, John, yeah. No, I yeah. the Savage, the Savage awesome. 220. Savage 220. You Googled gun. that. Stop it. No, no. I, I used to sell guns. <laughs> Do you think, and I want to pose it to everyone here. Do you think yeah. the reason why is because the, the break action is so low is because the the way people are seeing guns in video games and stuff now is a lot of pump and semi versus oh. break? It's well, a generational thing. I in think the younger that, crowd, sure, yeah, yeah. So I don't think people appreciate shotgun sports. I think is is one of the issues, and I think that it's the same way. Ghost, and you'll feel what I'm saying here. It's the same way. I think a lot of people don't appreciate don't golf. Okay. Would you agree that there's a lot of people that don't appreciate golf? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So. I I'm think part of that, I think part of that, <laughs> no, but part of that is golf takes a lot of room to do, right? Yeah, sure. Shotgun clubs, shotgun fields take a lot of room, right? It's not just one lane, 25 yards or whatever, shooting a pistol or whatever the case may be. You got to have room to throw a clay, especially if you've got a sporting clays course that could take up acres, right? And so I think that, I think if it was more prevalent, people would understand the break action, especially in, in over and under, or if people did more bird hunting and things like that, right. They would see it. The thing is you've got a lot of running gun. And if you're talking the competition world and you've got a lot of, um, what am I thinking? Like uh, a deer hunting type situations. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, a lot of States that yep. you have to do that hunting with shotgun. Um, and when you're not talking about, the pattern of your shot coming into play and things of that nature, you know, you don't appreciate the, what you get with a, with a single shot because that line, the, your line of sight basically down the barrel and all of that stuff is, is really coming into play. They usually fit, uh, fit you a lot better and stuff like that. So, uh, I think that's why it, it's, it's access to be able to go out and bird hunter access to be able to go out and get on a shotgun, uh, field or, or, you know, have a back pasture they can go in and fling clays or whatever the case may be. And I yeah. think that has a lot to do with it. Well, do you well, also... let, me, let me ask you guys this real quick, because I'm speaking of ignorance here. Um, Snob and, and Chris and Clover, and I'm, maybe even John, but like when it comes down to price breakdown, obviously pump axes are probably going to be the cheapest, but where does brake action as far as the breakdown of cost of shotgun? Oh, it's is, it, is it cheapest? It, that's weird. So brake action is the cheapest and the highest. And that's what I had said when I, yeah. when I chose it earlier. Brake action, brake action can be your single barrel H&R from 30 years ago at the gun yeah. show for 80 bucks, 75, 80 bucks. Yeah. Or it can be literally a $300,000 custom over and under, right? Like it can literally run that gamut. And you don't see that with any of the other ones you talk about. You don't see that with pumps or semi-autos or whatever. There's right. not a, there's not even, let's say a, $200 semi-auto and a $100,000 semi-auto. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's just, it's crazy when you get into brake action. And so that's why I'm saying, just saying brake action. And I think that's a lot of things too. People see like, Oh, it's just a brake action shotgun. Even mm -hmm. if it's an old runners, two shots, 
I'm not paying $1,200 for that or $1,500 for that or $800. It could be, yeah. Right? I can buy yep. a semi-auto or I can buy two pumps. And it's like, you don't understand, though. It's like sporting equipment, right? It's like Amazon bargain, ba- let's relate it to golf for you, right? It's mm. like Amazon bargain basement golf clubs versus yeah. high-end pro tour stuff, right? Right, yeah. And some people, they don't, they don't get the value in the ladder. And that's fine because mm. they may not enjoy that sport or whatever they need those for. You know what I mean? Right. Yep. Well, you brought up sporting clays and things like that. I think it's easier for somebody to get into a sporting clay, you know, a $200 brand new pump and go out and buy a box of shells. And you're screwed on true doubles, John. You're screwed. Well, I don't disagree, but if if I'm looking at that trying to get somebody into that, a pump is the cheapest way to get in versus an over-under. You're talking right. double the price for an over under. So sporting clays, you're screwed. Five stand, potentially screwed. And skeet, you're potentially screwed. Now, um, most single trap games, right? You could play with the pump and it wouldn't be that bad. And I've seen I've seen a lot of people try to shoot. Don't get me wrong. There's people that are really good that can do it. But I've seen a lot of, let's just call them novice to, you know, amateur side, right? Um, try to shoot sporting clays and different things with the pump and it 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 is badly because they're they know that they have to be so quick on the pump and it breaks their it breaks their mount you know what i mean and everything else and it just it jacks with their head so much so yeah um over and under if you're gonna do shotgun games i mean over and under or um semi-auto without a doubt it's the way to go but the thing is if you've got if you've got true doubles you walk up on a stage and you got true doubles and there's one of them is, is hard to get. In other words, it's true doubles and one's moving away from you. They're both kind of opposite directions. Well, you've got a pretty long delay from the time you hit that one till you get the other. It's further away. And sometimes you've got to tighten up your choke. So having that, that's where having that double barrel, even if it's semi-auto, you would be, you have to be really, really, really quick or just getting lucky, right? And land and land that shot pattern in a way that you just get lucky and something happens to break the clay. Whereas if you have that over and under, you could switch to a little tighter choke, say from a, a cylinder bore or a skeet over to something like a light modified or a modified, and you wouldn't have any problem. I mean, you could cut down on it just like you, you normally would if it was closer. We got all off into shotgun stuff. Let's get out of that. Let's stop it. Thank you so much because I literally was looking for the allergy medicine. So, um, yeah. We'll John asked, man. John I asked. I should, I should have known better. Should have known better. Um, yeah, so those are the poll questions. Like I said, uh, starting next week, we're going to sponsor for the polls. Uh, they're always fun. We have a good time with those, uh, as always. But uh, we're going to kind of dive into our topic tonight, which, um, like I said, it's one of those things where I think a lot of us maybe take for granted because we've been doing it for so long, and it's just second nature. Uh, we all have our own ways of doing it, our own distances, depending on what platform we're using, uh, what our goals are with that firearm, whether it's handgun, rifles, whatever. Um, but it's something that I always get either emails or comments in the videos or whatever, and it's about zeroing um, firearms. Now, obviously, the vast majority of them are um, – asking about rifles, whether it's bolt action or ARs and all of that. Um, but more and more people are asking about pistol um, optics. And I don't run optics on my pistols, but uh, I know that some of you guys do. I know Snob does. I think you're wrong. 
Well, I very well could be, but I have not been convinced as of yet. I'm not saying that the door is shut, but as of yet, I have not been convinced. But uh, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But uh, as far as zeroing, like I said, there's there's different ways to zero your optics. There's different distances depending upon what you're looking for, uh, what you're using it for, and all of that. Um, let's start out with basic ARs. Uh, an AR... 15, uh, let's say, you know, 223556. Uh, I guess you could go 300 blackout, but just the basic AR platforms. I think that's where a lot of people are getting into ARs in the last few years. And that's the vast majority of the questions I'm getting is, you know, I've got a video that um, has done really well over the last few years on uh, a certain type of zero that I use. I've also got gold videos that do well on optics. So those questions come a lot, very, 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 very much so in those videos. But let's start with Chris. Um, now, you probably have a couple different ways of zeroing, um, depending on if you're running a three-gun or if you're running just a, just a, a, an AR for defensive reasons. But in generalities, uh, let's start out with this one. Not distances of yet, but uh, how, uh, how do you go? What technique do you go about? to zero do you use a three shot or a five shot ten shot how many rounds in your grouping do you typically use to try to get that zero it's always five for me always five okay yeah um john what about you when you're zeroing an ar you, what, what kind of groups uh, what, how many in a group do you use same as chris five five uh clove um it sort of depends on the caliber and a few other factors but yeah, well, minimum, did you hear minimum the, minimum five? Yeah, yeah. And the basic AR two two three five five six. You know, just a basic old rifle. Uh, minimum of five. Okay, uh, minimum five. Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, Snow. What about you? Well, actually, zero it. I just use two because I strap it down on a sled and zero it on my second one, and then I usually check it with like three more. But okay, well, we're gonna get ready to come zero. I want to, you know, I know what you're talking about, but yeah, uh, we'll talk about. How to zero different ways to how to zero. Uh, let's welcome uh, Chase. What's up, homie? What's up, man? Oh, you? not a lot. When you're talking, we're talking AR 15 and 223556 in generalities. How many shots in a grouping do you usually start out with when you're zeroing an optic? I'm kind of doing it, or just zeroing the, the rifle if you're using irons or whatever, you know. I'm doing kind of like what. Snob is saying it's usually about two at first, and then I shoot a three-shot group behind it, so five yeah. total. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I I will uh, depend. I, I've used a lot of different methods to zero. Uh, my typical one is I, I, I do a five-shot group um, just to kind of see where it's at. And then once I kind of get an idea, then I'll start going three-shot groups after that to kind of get dialed in. Um, and usually I don't have to go more than a couple groups after that. Usually it's the second one, uh, group, uh, but I'll, I'll start at five, just kind of get a basic, cause you might have a flyer or something go through and you, you know, discount that. So I'll usually take five shots. Once I get an idea of where we are, then I will, um, then I'll go down to three, uh, real quick, mandatory care out there, $20 super chat. Thank you, homie. Appreciate you. He says, keep fighting. He'll call fix. There you go. Uh, thank you very much for that. You're a good man, Charlie Brown. Um, so let's, let's start with snob on this one. Um, and let's talk about the two shot zero. And this is something that a lot of people, especially if you've been doing it for a while, a two shot zero is something that is 
relatively easy to do, but you kind of going to get the hang of it. Um, the, the basic gist of it is you take your shot, you kind of see where that hole is, and you kind of move your op- your red dot, if you will, uh, to in a sled where it's stable. You move that dot to where the hole is, and that typically will get you pretty close to center. Um, is that what you pretty much are talking about, the two-shot zero snub? Yeah, I like to. I really like to put it in a sled if I can. Put yeah. in a sled where it's really solid. Yeah. Take your first shot, then get back where you aimed originally. Move your dot or your reticle over to your yeah. impact point. As long as and you it gets it pretty close. Shot, yeah. You know, normally, if you've been shooting for a while, yeah. If you've been shooting for a while, you know if you pulled a shot or you know if something went wrong yep. when you took that shot. Yep. Oh yeah. So it's just and usually it's dead on after that. You shoot a three shot group to follow it up and. You're done. Yeah. And, and, and when people talk about the sled uh, and what that is, it's, 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 I don't know, a couple, three feet long. You put the rifle in and it really keeps it stable to where you're able to zero uh, pretty, pretty easily because of the, the, the rifle. You're not really controlling, holding the rifle. You're not moving it. You're just really pulling the trigger. That's so a if rest. you're out there and you don't know what it is, uh, that's, that's kind of what the sled, go ahead. I'm sorry. It's a rest where you can, weight it down where it doesn't move and you can yeah. also strap the rifle in and you can and you can adjust it to where like you get in that in that sled and you know you can kind of adjust that up and down and all of that until it gets wherever your bullseye or where you want to aim at for you so it, it, it's a pretty cool thing there's there's many different brands of them and they make um, them for handguns too yeah, they do they do they're, yeah sure they're a little bit more finicky um, I've uh, I've actually we might, never we might used get into one. That. Well, I mean, yeah. we might get into that later gun. when we talk about handguns. But yeah, yeah we will definitely get into handguns. Yeah, um, let's go to um, John. And you said you use about a five-shot grouping and all that. What method typically do you uh, use to zero your 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 AR? <laughs> Normally, it's just fire and then adjust. But yep. the the big thing that I see mistake with a lot of people is that they'll chase the rounds instead of shooting for group they'll just try to chase the rounds and keep chasing it and that's when you got issues so i'll just i'll fire my five ground group adjust fire another couple rounds just to see where they land yep um now what he's talking about is shooting and adjusting if if you get the the right kind of target and you can get them at most of your gun shops if not get them online but they come in the one inch by one inch squares and all of that um to where um you know, you'll know, okay, well, I am three inches left and two inches high. And you'll have to figure out what uh, what your optic is and each click is going to be worth and all that, especially at whatever distance you're, you're shooting at. Um, but then you'll just kind of adjust the, the turrets to get that down. Um, and so, yes, you might have to – I can't see what that avatar is for Chase. Do I want to know? The cat with the Mac. Okay, I, I can't see. I, I, I had terrible eyesight right now. Um, but yeah, that's that's another good way. Uh, bring in close. Or we're going to chase since you're here. Uh, what kind of method do you typically use when zeroing your ARs? I'm doing something similar to what Snob's doing. So most of my long guns in general, it's going to have a good bore sight to begin with, and then I'm going to bag it or sled it, fire, adjust your point of aim to your point of impact shoot a group, make your fine tweaks. Yeah. Now, yeah, so I left yeah. out the bore sighting part. Forgot about that. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. And, and bore sighting um, is typically 
um, typically you bore sight before you even even try to get shots on target. Uh, you just bore sight, just kind of get a general idea. Uh, you can do that. Now, Smeggy brings up something. He said, just just get drafting paper. I use it all the time as an engineer. If your optic, whatever it might be, and we're talk we haven't really talked about the distance at which we're we're talking about sighting yeah, in. Right? That's gonna be the next one, yeah. But but if you know, if you are if you get an optic that is mechanically zeroed, right? Yeah. In, other, in other words, it's not a a demo that was, you know, on the case, somebody twisted the turrets eighteen yeah. different directions before you bought it. Yeah. Um Odds are you're going to be able to mount that on a firearm. It'd be pretty close, yeah. And it's gonna you're going to be able to hit an eight and a half by eleven. Yeah, it, it, at, at twenty five yards or whatever you know. You're yeah. Talking. Now, depending upon the the company, uh, some will do a hundred yard zero, some will do a fifty two hundred yard zero from factory, uh, and, and most of the time they'll you know they'll you, you can find out pretty quickly what it, it's typically zeroed at. I'd say that the, the average is probably a hundred yard zero to where you you'll know kind of. Right. At 100 yards, that you're going to be on paper, like you said, eight and a half by 11, yeah, and it's right out of the box. At worst, it's going to be high or low because of your your mount, the way you've got it mounted. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be worst. So for me, I mean, you can you can shoot a simple eight and a half, eleven with a garage sale sticker dot in the middle or something. But um, you know, if you don't hit paper, aim at move your point of aim to the top of the paper and at the bottom edge of the paper. You know what I mean? Because that's yeah. a flat edge. You know, and see if you hit, and then you'll know if you're high or low. You know, so sometimes it you know it can take more than a couple of shots, depending on how big of a how far away you are and how big of a piece of paper you're shooting at. Yeah. Um, now Marcus says uh, his ARs are one in nine twists, zero at fifty, a one in seven twists at a hundred. Uh, the twist rate is going to have a factor, um, depending on what you're going to be using it for and all that and all that. But yes, um, Chris, what about you, my man? Um, method. Uh, all my rifles, I zero, and my PCCs, I I zero them all on a sled. Um, okay. And all my handguns uh, with red dots, I zero them all off of a shooting bag. Okay. Uh, yeah, the shooting bag works just fine if you can't get a sled and all that, um, for sure. Just make sure it's stable, guys. If you're out there and you're – just make sure you're able to get that, that rifle stable somehow. Um but yeah, um, Clover, your method as far as zeroing your ARs, how do you kind of go about that? Hello? That's the most genius thing he's ever said. I agree. That is intriguing. So I'm gonna uh, use a I'm gonna use a go. sled because it's easier. Um, but then there's a couple of a couple of points I want to make on that, like adding on to it. It may be premature to do that, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, so after usually two shots and you're there, right? And then put another sure. three and you beat the center out of whatever you're shooting at. You're like, okay, we're good. Um, I want to do a couple of other things. Um, from there, I want to do an, uh, I want to do a return to zero, right? Um, sure. Especially if we're talking about a new optic and it's a new model and I don't got a lot of experience with it. Um, so what I mean by that is I'm going to go however many clicks to the left, fire a shot, turn it back, however many clicks I turned previously and take a shot. Right. So yeah. I should be center. I should be at a certain point to the left. Right. Then I go, sure. then I go, then I go right. I do the same thing. 
dial it out the same amount of clicks the other way, take a shot, dial it back. So you should be eating the center out every time and you should be at an equal distance, basically, right? Up and down. Yep. And I'll get I'll get up and down, I'll make a plus sign, basically, right? And then I'll hit the corners. Right, all the way up, that many clicks up and to the left, and that many clicks up and to the right, doing a return every time, right? Um, and you go through a lot of, of ammo with that, sure. So that's more of rather than I'm trying to zero the rifle, like I want to make sure that that optic, right, like the adjustments and everything are good. I'm not going to have something where you know this everybody you know makes the claim that the scope gets off, the scope gets off, and along with that, I'll, I'll throw another caveat in here. That if you're in, in chasing and uh, uh, Chris and, and Snob and, and whoever that uses a sled too, once you zero on a sled, do you then go and shoot off of a bag or offhand or something like that? I'll do offhand. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'll yeah. shoot offhand. Because and, oh, yeah. here's the thing. Here's the thing. I can promise you it is not going to be in the same spot. <laughs> right. If you, if you get off of that, if you get off of that sled, Right, whatever you're propped up against, where the tree, a table, a bag, it's not gonna. It's gonna be off just a little bit. There'll be a yep. click or two that you can adjust because, again, the way that you mount the rifle and everything else is not gonna be the same as in that sled. Yep. So just keep that in mind if you're talking maximum precision, right? If you're yep. talking close enough, especially for hunting or something like that, um, you're gonna be close enough at most distances for hunting and things of that nature. Yep. Yeah, they, I thought we were talking like ARs and not precision rifles. Yeah, we are. We're talking ARs. Well, <laughs> ARs. Sometimes people use ARs for precision. Well, I guess that's true. Right. That's true. Right. Yeah. I don't. Neither do I. Um, let's kind of go and snob. Let's kind of start with you on this one. Uh, for ARs, um, what is your general zero distance that you use? I'm not one of these weirdos that have to do that perfect 36 yards here. I do mine at 50 yards. If it's got a dot on it, 100. If it's got a LPVO. Yep. So, the, so if you're out there and you and you and you are new to this, um, the 50 yard zero is very, very commonly used, and it's you might also hear it called the 5200 yard. And what that means is where the trajectory of that projectile on the point of aim versus point of impact, um, a 50 yard zero that point where it crosses that line that imaginary line also crosses at 200 so technically if you're hitting bullseye at 50 yards with that same zero you'll hit the bullseye again at 200 uh that's in generalities depending on you know grain and, and all of that but in generalities a 5200 yard zero is very very popular because of that reason so um, yeah, uh, Chase. What about you? What zero distance do you typically go after? Um, pretty much like what I was just saying to you. It's usually around a fifty or AR rifles type rifles. Yeah. You know, I mean, same idea, same generality. If you're on it fifty, you're on it two, and I can adjust as far as that goes. Like any of the LPVOs, red dots, I'm not shooting much past three anyway, so I can yeah. adjust. Absolutely. Um, now, Smeggy says that G-Webs has a good video explaining how zeros work. Yeah, I'm sure G's got a great video on a lot of different topics over the years, so you can just go and do that rabbit hole G-Webs, but for sure, yeah, he's got definitely got a couple of them. Um, let's go to Chris on this one. What distance are you typically um, going to zero at? So my 
two ARs that I use for coyote hunting and hog hunting, I zero those at 100 yards. Okay. Just because very rarely do I ever call a coyote in closer than 100 yards. Um, all my other ARs are all zeroed at 50. Okay. So the if the defense ARs, if you call it that, are the, the 50, 200, um, zero, but you're, you're hunting more kind of more precision, uh, if you will, compared to just the defense is going to be at a hundred yards that you're saying basically. Yeah. Okay. John, what about you? Uh, for me, my AR pistols are zeroed at 25 and then okay. like my 350 legend and my 16 inch AR zeroed at 50. 50. Okay. Um, Clover, dare I ask, how long is this answer going to take? What What's an AR again? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What's uh, what typically do you, with an AR, what do you typically, uh, distance are you zeroing at? Um, I usually, I usually go, you know, with the 5,200. And then, yep. you know, when we're talking five by six, if we're, yep. if we're talking about blackout, especially with subsonic, yeah. Uh, a lot of times I'll bump that back to 25. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will go, um, with my ARs. I, I, I always go with it, what they call a battlefield zero. It's something the Marine Corps has been using forever. Um, it's called a 36 yard zero. And, and, um, the, the gist about that, I'm not, when it comes to my AR, I am not a precision guy. I want to know that's in a defense situation that if I aim center chest on someone, it's going to hit. Uh, so with my like ARs, a 16 inch ARs and all of that, I use a 36 yard zero because if you aim center mass from zero yards out to 300 yards, you are going to hit within six inches at any, at any distance from whether it's high or low, um, six inches from point of aim. So uh, what that tells me is, is if I aim mine at 30 at center mass, I'm going to be able to put that threat down from zero to 300 yards without having to worry about anything. And that's why I use a 36 yard zero. I've been using it forever. Um, you can, I, I, some of them I actually have in the past used the 5200 because that's the same kind of a situation. Uh, the reason why I go with that, people ask me all the time, especially in the videos, why do you, you know, why, what, why do you not care about after 300 yards? Well, if I'm going to have to shoot out at 300 yards, first of all, um, I run red dots or EOTech. Some of them have LPBOs, but you're not going to run those out much past 300 yards with an AR. Now you can, obviously I choose not to. If I have to worry about something that's more than 300 yards out, I'm going to go bolt action at that point. And that's a whole different ballgame. We're going to talk about more precision. <laughs> but in a battlefield zero, um, I'm going to, I want something that I know from zero point blank yards to 300. If I aim center mass, that threat's going to get hit. So that's why I use a 36-yard zero. Uh, it's very, very easy, very, very simple. Um you do it the same way as you're just zeroing at 36 yards instead of 50 or 100 yards or whatever. But uh, that's why I run that 36 yard zero and I find it great. Now, let's, and now for, for AR pistols, especially my AR9, my AR9, I'll go um, with a, it sounds weird, but I'll go with like a seven yard zero with my AR9 pistol <laughs> because it's kind of the same thing. Uh, that AR9 is going to be able to get you at seven yards, kind of almost out to 100 yards, that same trajectory, and all of that with a nine millimeter in that pistol. Uh, it's kind of the same thought process as a seven yard zero. Uh, so you can use a 10 yard, 15 yard, 25. 
I wouldn't go much more than a 25 yard zero. This is me personally. You can do whatever you want. Uh, but with an AR pistol, especially like a 9mm PCC, I wouldn't go much outside of a 25-yard uh, zero because you're not going to have to hold a whole lot uh, with a 25 and under. Uh, more importantly, if you're going to – I look at the AR-9 where that's my zero to 100-yard um, defense thing. Uh, I can use a pistol or the AR-9 pistol. Once we start talking about 100 yards and up, I'll, I'll probably go in my in my purest form. I'll go to the AR, the 16-inch AR. Go from that up to 300 yards, and after that, I'm going to a bolt action. Obviously, assuming that all of these are available at the time. But uh, those are generalities. My CQB with AR-9, I, I usually go to either 7 or 10 um, um, yard zero on those for that. Uh, let's transition to bolt action. Now, bolt action whether it's hunting or competition, typically tend to be more precision-based. Um, so let's start with snob. On a bolt action, uh, what kind of yardages are you typically uh, zeroing your bolt action optics with? 100 yards. 100 yards still, okay. Uh, Chase, what about you? It depends on the caliber because I'm a bit of a precision rifle whore. So yep. generally 200 a hunting rifle is a little different. Hunting rifle, you know, old school 100 yard zero is where I'm from. You're not making too many crazy long shots, but generally 200 plus. Some of my big caliber, super specialty stuff have even longer zeros than that. Yeah. Um, so you're going, when you say super precision, let's say you're a super precision and you're going to push out to 600 yards or 700 yards. Where would you where would you probably zero that at? I mean, most of those things are going to be a two hundred yard zero. Two hundred yards, okay. I mean, yeah. this when I'm saying that, like, take my three hundred Norma as a good example, a rifle that I can easily push two thousand plus. Yeah, that's when you start getting into these three to five hundred yards. Those are five hundred yard zeros and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're talking uh, mile plus at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Clover bolt action. Uh, your typical and atypical zeros similar. that you have used yeah similar to similar to chase it's it's really going to depend on the rifle the caliber and the task at hand right um for me i like depending on what i'm going to do if you're talking about a hunting situation a lot of times and i run mill dot mostly it's what i'm comfortable with and i want to center my meal you know what i mean yep. so like if i think my max is going to be 500 my minimum is going to be 50 I yeah. want to find a sweet spot so I've got quick, quick change with those meals. Sure, you know what yeah. I mean. So mm -hmm. that's going to depend on the load. That's going to you know you're going to have to get on the route right on the range and fire a couple rounds and whatever and, and figure that out. So there's a lot of, of figuring out. Um, for just generic purposes in general, um, yeah, it's it's hard to beat a hundred yard zero on most yeah. things. Yeah, I I think that for most people, if you're just starting out. Um, until you start worrying about different calibers, different things. If you're just trying to get um, like a 308 or something, and you're just trying to be able to utilize it for hunting or for just basic bolt action precision stuff, you really can't go wrong with a 100-yard zero. Um, but we'll talk about a little bit more about that. Um, John, bolt action, what's your typical zero distance at? Uh, normally 100, 200, depending on the caliber and what, what I'm doing. If it's, it's 200, if I'm going out to 12, 1500. 
Okay. Yep. Uh, Chris, what about you? 100 yards on my bolts. No matter what, what your target distance could be? I only got two, and I never shoot past. The longest range I've got around here is 300 yards. So. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I got my 308 bolt um, at 100 and my 450 at 100. Okay. I don't know what y'all are so worried about. I just take my Weaver 3 by 9 and I just, you know, 0 to 100, and I just hold her up, a, you know, three inches above the deer's back, and you can uh-huh. stop that deer and she's a 300. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and, and you I actually bring up. I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. We're actually, oh, yeah. you bring up a point that's actually we're transitioning to is holdovers. Um, so this is just my opinion, and we'll get you guys. You guys, at this point, just jump on in. We're talking. Um, that's why I the like most, Mill Dot. Yeah, Mill, Mill, yeah, yes. You give me a mark shot, you're, okay. you're gone at that yeah. point. So mills are so Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me, let me go. Um, so for me, the most important that you really, really, really want to make sure that you're zeroed in on is more of your horizontal zero. Okay. So if you're going to, we call the windage left or right, you want to make sure if anything, you obviously want the elevation to be zeroed as well, but you can understand that once you get used to this, as long as your windage is pretty close, if you have to hold you're going to be, I'd rather you hold up or down than left or right. Now, will there be times that you have to hold left or right in a competition when it, the wind and all that? Absolutely. But just in generalities, um, if, if, if someone was, someone asked me is what's more important left or right up and down to me, the most important is getting your windage, the left to right closer to dead on than the elevation because you can adjust the elevation, but you can hold a little bit high or whatever. Um, Typically, in a competition shoot, um, you're gonna you're gonna be able to adjust um, both windage and elevation. But understand that in a in a simple terms, if if your windage is pretty good and you kind of know and there's really li- very little wind, then no matter what distance you are, you'll be able to quickly kind of figure out your hold up or down. And so, for me, what, what do you guys think in general? Um, windage versus elevation. What's more important to get right right off the bat? I say elevation because it's easier for me, at least it's easier to hold over when I, when I did that precision class, it was, we did all elevation first and then windage because windage was easier with the mill dot. Okay. And I think that's, that's just what I've learned. That's yep. what I know. And I feel like the, since the wind shifting, it's easier just to, if it is shifting, you know, it's easier just to hold that windage over than have to figure out elevation. I agree with you, but if you haven't gotten that initial uh, windage zeroed, then your holdovers aren't going to be consistent. We did, we did, so we did elevation and then zeroed a little bit for windage, and then we went out and just. But you put more emphasis on the elevation, is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, we did more emphasis on elevation, which and I guess guess it's more of a personal preference, I guess you know. But it got harder once you go out to if once you run out of bills for those of who have ever ran out of adjustment on their scope, <laughs> yeah. that it gets harder to adjust for windage if you have nothing left when you go through mills. Clover witnessed so. uh, me doing that down at Charlie's place. I literally was the wind was blowing literally like thirty five miles an hour, so I ran out of real estate on the windage and was still holding way off at a thousand yards, you know, and all that. But uh, 
But yeah, uh, Clover, want to bring you in. Whoever thought you were going to start, go ahead and start that. But also answer me for this: okay. as far as your, as far as you, your beliefs, which is more important to put emphasis on, elevation or windage? Yeah, probably elevation. All right. And what were you? What were you uh, when I so coldly interrupted you? Uh, uh, what were you bringing up here a second ago? Oh, just the fact that running running mill dots. I mean, everybody has oh, their yeah. own thing, but yeah, you know, a lot of people run BDC and stuff like that, where you've got the little hash marks and stuff. I like having dots up and down and across, and yeah. the reason is I've just used it for so long that I don't even see dots. I see it almost as a grid. Yeah, sure. And yeah. so, like, you know, I could take it, and the wind can be blowing. It can be whatever, zeroed it, whatever. And if I get a mark shot where I can see, you know, what I'm saying, where I can see it. Like I know where it landed in that grid, and I just bring the I just bring that part of the, you know what I mean? Shoot off the mills, right? I bring that part of the grid down to, down to center, and I mean it's it's dead to rights at that point. Yeah. So. Yep. Um. But but I get. I mean, there's all kind of reticles out there. There's a lot newer stuff. Mill dots, feel old. It's old school. Um. I get it. Uh, yeah. But I mean, for me, I mean, I'm used to it, and it's really quick, especially. You know, especially if you're if you're cutting down on pigs and they're running or, you know, things like that are happening. Right. It's really yeah. quick for me to adjust it on the fly. No, I, I, I prefer a mill reticle as well. Now, in LPVOs, I love a BDC reticle. I think they're awesome for LPVOs that go up to maybe like nine magnification or eight magnification or ten magnification at the most. I, I love a BDC um reticle but yeah for for long stuff I, i'll go to the mill as well uh bring in chase real quick um more important for you as far as dialing in elevation or windage elevation is your constant yeah so you're like like what john was saying earlier anybody's ever done any like extreme long distance shooting long distance shooting i don't consider 600 yards long distance shooting that's just getting warmed up a lot of people are like five or six yards is a crazy shot. It's it's really not that not. difficult. It's, that's it's where you easy. yeah. That's where you start encountering the issues you have at distance. Yeah, you know, and there's a lot more that goes into it than just a regular zero. You know, your environment is affected and where you zeroed, your temperature, yep. humidity, all that stuff. Hundred percent. Elevation is your constant. Windage is going to change, and people don't realize windage is totally different at the t point where you're shooting at 300 yards, 600 yep. yards, a thousand yards yep. plus. Yep. That's why your elevation is so important to be on because it is your constant. Yeah. Once you run out of elevation, I can, I can dope the wind all day because I'm using much more advanced reticles. I mean, it's still the mill prop. There's still the mill system. They're just much more advanced, much more accurate systems than an old school mill dot. But you can use those as holdovers and you can use those to make your calls. Whereas if your elevation's off, you're never going to make that shot. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm over here real quick. Uh, Marcus says that he used mill dot for long range. However, the ACSS um, reticle does make me lazy. I am not a big fan of the ACSS reticle. Uh, I'm just not. Uh, maybe I'm crazy about that. I just. If I'm not using a mill for long range, I'm using um, LPVOs I'll, I'll use, but most of the time I, I like dots. I, I love circle dots. Um, maybe that's why I like the BDC also. Is It kind of reminds me of a circle dot. But, yeah, I, I'm not a big fan um, of those. But, anyways, yeah. Uh, welcome, Chicago. Mike, what's going on, man? 
Uh, we're talking zeroing right now. So um, first of all, I want to say uh, what we're talking in generalities for rifles, whether it's AR or bolt action, do you have like a general distance that you typically like to zero it? Well, how's it going, gentlemen? Uh, can y'all hear me? Yep, hear you fine. All right. <clears throat> uh, well, for me, I started at, you know, like indoor, like at 25 yards okay. for, for zeroing, uh, like, like on a, like on a regular AR-15. Right. Now on a, on a, like a, a bolt action rifle, I would say my average would start at a hundred yards just because it's going to be like your first time. Mm -hmm. And for me, <clears throat> I would choose a, a like a, a vortex venom for my first scope. If I, now that I don't know how to how to zero in on a scope, but I will I will learn to, and I will do some you know research on how to how to zero that. Okay. But you know, I for me for me that would be more easier on the on the AR-15 than really on a pistol. You know. It, yeah, we're, it, we're not even talking pistols yet at this point. We're just talking oh, you know okay. ARs okay. and bolt actions right now. We'll get into handguns here in a little bit, but yeah, but uh, yeah. Um, hundred yards. That's that's like I said. That's that's probably a pretty safe. Anyone to tell they're starting, I would probably say the hundred yard zero is probably the, the best way to start. And you can always change um, with different things. Um, let's see here, Chris, and bring you in real quick. As far as elevation versus windage, what's more important for you to get right? I mean, for me, it's elevation. Uh, but I don't really have a dog in this fight. Like I said, right. I very rarely shoot past hundred yards. It's just yeah. It's just not my thing. I mean, I think it's great. I think it's cool. It's just not something that I sure yeah I get into. But I'm more impressed that everyone's ganging up and telling John that he's wrong. That's that's ultimately what I really <laughs> care about is is he's the only one that says that windage is the right way to go. I'm just I'm just choking, John. Um, but no, I hear what you're saying. So um, yeah, if you're not going to push out much more than 100 yards, then um, you know you can probably just where you're going to be able to, like I said, get on paper, depending on if you're trying to do precision or not. If you're just trying to get shots on paper, you know, you can figure out holds and all that. But, uh, yeah, Snava, I don't think I brought come to you as far as elevation versus windage, have I? No, I don't shoot in the wind, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, Oklahoma doesn't have wind. Yeah, you ban no, it, don't you? You live, you live in yeah. a bubble. Yeah. I guess elevation. I don't know. I'm kind of like Chris. I don't have a dog in this, but I do shoot farther than that, but I've never thought about it. Yeah. Yeah, I hear I'm you. I'm no professional shooter. I can promise you that. Oh, I hear you. Um, it's just one of those things where I think that uh, windage versus elevation, pick one, ultimately. Pick one. You obviously want to get both of them as, as accurately as you can. Uh, understand that it's for me, and it's just for me, and, and John obviously might tell you for it's easier for him to, him, him to hold over uh, laterally uh, with windage. For me, it's easier to hold up or down. Um, as long as I know that my windage is, is pretty good. Um, now, obviously, you're going to have to hold over in, in competition and all that. And, and what Chase was saying is very important, guys, as well. Um, what your wind is doing at your rifle muzzle and what it's doing a 1,000 yards downrange or a mile or whatever you're talking, 600 to a mile, could be completely different as well. I mean, you might, you might, the first hundred yards you're shooting might be um, lined by tree. So it's cutting some of that wind down. But once you out past that tree line at, you know, 300 yards out to a thousand, 
there's nothing to stop that wind typically. So maybe that's the situation. You kind of have to know where you're shooting, what the, the landscape is. I know it's kind of daunting if you're a beginner out there, but there is a certain distance that you have to start taking into effect the humidity, uh, the curvature of the earth. And that is a thing, especially for like hyper long distance shooting and ultra long, whatever they call it. I think it's called ultra long shooting, long distance shooting, uh, the curvature of the earth. You know, we can talk uh, with Charlie about that. You know, it's amazing when you're talking about going out two, three miles that some of these guys are shooting for the world records. Literally, humidity and curvature of the earth is more important than wind at that point. It's crazy, but uh, that is a big thing. Well, something um, that's going to affect it, too, is what I said earlier. If you if you zero in on a sled, and this is really more for you know, when you get out longer range. So a couple yeah. hundred yards probably not going to make a lot of difference. But especially if you're talking range, that lateral movement, you know, your wind is your left and right. So if you're shouldering that rifle or you're canting the rifle one way or another in a little bit, right? Like yeah. at range, that's going to affect your left or right. And, you know, if you don't have that rifle level, if you if you zeroed it level and then when you shoulder it, it's canted left or right a little bit. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's going to it's going to have a tendency to want to go that way a little more. Yeah. And, and one thing we, we need to also say is it sounds crazy. Not all two, two, three, five, five, six are the same. Not all three oh eight, not all six five creed, not or all ammo. of these their ammo is different. And yeah. if you're using let's just take, you know, two two three. If you're using a fifty-five grain versus a seventy-five grain, you can't zero your rifle with a fifty-five grain and expect it to be the same with a seventy-five grain uh, projectile. Well, you so go, you can go different <laughs> than that. If you're buying, let's just say, you know, fifty-five grain federal you know whatever and then you switch to a 55 grain wolf you know yeah. what i mean like may be two totally different points of impact <coughs> now <coughs> excuse me yeah typically if you're running 55 grain 223 no matter the brand it's going to be close enough now unless you're running ultra precision stuff it's going to be close enough oh, yeah. but uh, yeah. but understand switching from different grain weights in the same ammo is going to change that zero. So uh, I suggest people out there when you are zeroing your rifles or anything, really try to typically use the ammo that you would typically run in that weapon. Um, if you're going to, if you're going, let's say an, a nine millimeter handgun, we're getting ready to transition to the handguns. If you're going to zero something with, and you're going to plan on carrying that and you're going to use, let's say defensive carry hollow points at 147 grain, well, the best thing for you to do is not to zero that with 115 grain, you know, uh, full metal jacket ammo. It's going to be a little bit different and all of that. So uh, that's going to be an easy transition. So we're going to start with Chris. Uh, Chris, do you, first of all, do you run optics on your handguns? About 90% of them, yep. All right. So you're one of the weird ones. All right. Uh, <laughs> not a savage. Uh, well, you know, that's up to debate. But um, so with a with with a red dot on your your handguns, what distances are you typically zeroing those dots at? They're all zeroed at fifteen yards. Fifteen yards. Now, for someone out there like myself who's not digging the dots, um, is that for competition, or is there a specific reason that you've chosen fifteen yards, or is that kind of like the staple hundred yard zero with the rifle? Uh, for me, it's competition. So okay. even like my PCC, I've got it sighted in at 15 yards. So any of my USPSA 
matches I go to, there yeah. everything's going to be 25 yards or less. So if I'm zeroed at 15 yards, as long as I'm shooting good, I'm not going to have a problem hitting the A zone on a target. Right. Um, so it, it just kind of became rule of thumb for me was just sight all my red dots in at 15 yards with uh, on the pistols. Um, and then the PCC, I do the same thing just because I'm shooting a pistol course with a, with a PCC. But, um, yeah, 15, 15 yards works works perfect for me. Because even when I'm at the gun range, I'm never, I never take a shot past 25 yards with my handgun. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, who else in this is, is a weirdo that runs dots on their handguns? I know Snob does, so Snob, I'll start with you the next. Um, what distance do you typically zero your dots on your pistols? I used to always do 25, but I'm almost – I mean, I can't tell any difference. Of course, I'm 99% of the time I'm shooting steel, but I'm yeah. hitting it perfectly fine, and I've been zeroing at 15 lately. It's just – there's literally no difference, really. And I yeah. can shoot out to 100 yards with, a like, my X5 Legion. It's zeroed at 25, and I shoot it at 100 yards shooting my silhouette target quite often. Yeah. No issues. So um, now you're talking um, changing from 25 to 15, typically using, you know, steel and all of that. When you're shooting, um, obviously you're not doing it for competition. So um, when you start getting out to like 50 yards on a 15-yard zero, this is for anyone that uses it, is there a typical hold or do you have to, you know, no. aim a little low or I... anything? Like I said, I've shot my X5 a bunch at 100 yards, and it's got a 25-yard zero, and there's no hold over it. Just, okay, it's so it's just – you just aim center it's mass. Really it's going to hit the, it's gonna hit the steel somewhere. It's yeah. going to hit the steel, steel center mass in the silhouette. Yeah. Um, now, for pistols, and this is just me, and I don't run dots typically. I've got a couple that have dots on there. But typically, I, I don't run dots on my handguns. But most of my handguns I, I, I get and I use for concealed carry and all that. So I'm one of the weird ones that um, my my thought process, you use a B-52 target, which is the basic silhouette target that you see, um, and you're out anywhere out to 25 yards, 50 yards, whatever you want. Um, I'm not worried about putting whole bullets through the same hole with a handgun. I'm more worried about defensive. So I want to make sure that I am on target, which means I hit that silhouette. Um, so I personally am not, maybe that's what reason why I don't typically use dots. I, I just, I, I never have. I've always learned on irons and open sites. Um, I'm more worried about getting shots in a silhouette. So as long as I'm hitting a silhouette or like snob says, as long as, I can go up to 100 yards, and I'm hitting that steel. Um, I'm going to be able to hit that threat and all that. Uh, Chase, Mike, John, do you any of you guys run dots on your pistols? No, oh, I hate them. They're terrible. Yeah. No, I run dots, too. I mean, I'm yeah, not, like, exclusively do. a dot guy. But I'm like what Snob's saying. I don't see a too much of a difference at, you know, generally a 25-yard zero. I can, especially on, like, a 9 mil. Yeah, I can run anything from, you know, right on top of me to 100 yards with no ill effect. Yep, yep. Now we start talking different calibers, 45, 10 millimeter, and all that. Um, that obviously will change things a little bit. 45 wouldn't shoot 100 yards. It falls. It just falls to the earth at like 50. Well, you can. So. You, you yeah, can, if you, you listen to all those people, sure. 
you can listen to uh, G Webs and just say, just you know, just aim it and lob it in there. You know, have it land on top of their head. That'd be kind of a cool thing. You know, one of the one of the biggest reasons too that I zero my pistols at fifteen yards because like we go back and I was telling you that I zero off of a you know sandbag or shooting bag, whatever you want to call it. Sure. Uh, the benches at the range where I do ninety percent of my shooting are fifteen yards from the target, so ah. I will get zeroed off the bag at 15 and then once i'm standing up you know and shooting um then i'll i'll fine tune that dot to you know whatever you want to call it my bad habits or um but that's that's another big reason for me why but like we were saying about 15 to 25 there's really no no difference in it for an for a red dot on a pistol so i just do 15 because that's where the bench is so yeah I'm, oh, go ahead. I just had a quick question for the other guys that aren't savages and run dots on our handgun. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I always, and this is just how I zero it. I just had a question if this is what they do or what do they do. But I, like, I'll throw a dot on and just slap it over the irons. And a lot of times I'll shoot quite a bit before I ever put it on a bench and actually zero it. Zero. And a lot of my guns, I've even actually put on a bench and zero just my carry guns mainly and a few others. But does anybody well, else just slave it and go? Because it's normally right on. I was going to ask, I was going to ask you like, you know, typically um, for you guys that do run dots on your pistols, we were talking earlier about with rifles, most optics come kind of already pretty much zeroed from, from the manufacturer and all of that. Uh, Typically um, with dots on pistols, do they come kind of pre-zeroed from the manufacturer? And if so, do do you guys, is it a 15 or 25 yard typically zero or what? I personally have never had one that I couldn't get on paper with it right off the bat at 15 yeah. yards. Okay. Um, it, it tends to Swamp Fox, um, Holosun, they tend to be pretty close to Bullseye at 15 yards. Um, you get into some of your other ones like ADE, um, they Vector, some of those can be a little bit more off, but yeah. Um, they're always, you know, within a four to five inches, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Clover, you had something? Oh, I, you know, you're talking about, you know, caliber making a difference. So the, yeah. the majority of optics that I have run and, and do on handguns is, is 22. Yeah. But even, but even with that, like I can, you know, I can, I can zero at like 25 yards which is like a, you know, for like a bullseye match or something like that, let's say. Uh, and whether we're talking scope, you know, optic or, or uh, scope or red dot. Yeah. And typically, even like at a six-inch piece of steel at 100 yards, I mean, my hold is like the top of the target. You know what I mean? The steel, yeah. like the hanger or something. Sure. Um, the biggest challenge when you're talking about a handgun is you pull that trigger the least little bit to the left or right and you're going to miss. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know yeah. like the, the elevation is the worst of your concern. Like the, the windage yeah. is a massive thing with a handgun. Yeah. Well, it's because you're, you're, you're very rarely ever going to have any stability to that. You know what I'm saying? I mean, right. it's, yeah. It's, if you're trying to shoot offhand or especially one handed in some competitions, yeah. I mean, it yeah. is, it's brutal. But now, typically if you're on bags or arrest, it, it's, it's not bad. Now, my and Chris, you shoot competition as well. And my my experiences um, with single handed shooting and competition, um, they're running at like 
you know, seven, seven to 10 yards maximum on, on a lot of those. You don't see very rarely 25 uh, yard shot single hand. I'm not saying they don't, but typically when you're, if you're having to run a one handed stage, um, you, they're, they're relatively close uh, targets to where you're not having to worry about a 25 yard target one handed. Uh, I'm sure there are some, but typically uh, I have not seen many that are outside uh, 10 yards or so. Uh, Chris, what are your experiences on that? With one-handed shooting? Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, I'm not real good with with a handgun, um, but most competitions, I'm sure. That's why you shoot. That's why you shoot your PCC, huh? Yeah. Be honest. (laughs) uh, That's just something I've had to practice with a lot is switching shoulders, and uh, yeah, you know, it's I've gotten a lot better at it. but it's it's definitely something I practice a lot because it yeah there every match you're gonna have to do it at least once you're gonna have to switch shoulders yeah so yeah um, Mike bring you in here we're talking handguns now um, do you run dots in your handguns I think you said earlier you do uh, me personally zero percent no okay just, just iron sights the irons open sights absolutely I like, uh, I like you already. Yeah, I like <laughs> the fact the fact that you know when you're let's just say you know if you're if you're buying like a another pistol for competition like me I want to like my next purchase would be a Beretta 92X. The Beretta 92X already has like a red fiber optic on it, and right. the rear the rear sights are all black. Yeah, so that's perfect for me. Yep. That red that red fiber optic will let you know that is basically already zeroed in. So yeah. when I'm like, like for me, when I'm shooting, like I shoot production. So when I'm, when I'm shooting, I always, I always make sure, you know, I always count on my, okay, I got, I got 10 rounds in this mag, this mag, this mag. And then I always look at how many targets that I got to shoot on one side, how many targets I got to shoot on the other side. Normally they're like in between five to 15 yards ish on my end. When I'm okay. shooting competition in local matches, so when I'm if I'm shooting at a target at like let's say like 12 yards, you know, my my aim is not that great, but at the same time I'm getting a little better at it because of the fact that I'm only shooting iron size, but with a red dot, I know my mm-hmm. aim is going to complete be completely off because of the fact that I have to keep I have to make sure that that red dot is like zero back in. Once I'm like, you know, once I pull the trigger. Yeah. And, you know. I'm not going to lie, bro. I'm just joking with you, but you don't know me real well. But I'm just joking. But I want to say this and say that not being a very good aimer isn't very good for being a competition shooter. Just saying. You're right. <laughs> just, you're just right. No, I, I believe I'm just, I'm, 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 it's, it's a joke. No, 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 no. That's, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> I, look. I was I was told that when I first started doing competition, so it's no, all good. You'll get better, and the great thing about competition is it forces you to kind of get better quickly at the different things. Uh, for those of you guys out there that are running uh, dots on their handguns, um, I know it's dependent upon the optic itself, but uh, preference level. Do you guys like doing an absolutely an absolute co witness, or do you like a lower third co witness, or what do you guys like? Uh, we'll start with Chris on this one. Absolute co-witness or like a lower third uh, co-witness? Uh, for me, it's absolute. Okay, okay. So what we're talking about, guys, is if you're out there, an absolute is the, the dot on that that dot on your uh, handgun. You want to basically 
dot the I, if you will, on the front post, the front site. Uh, so it kind of looks like you're literally dotting the I, sitting right on top of that. The lower third, that, that front post is going to be in the lower third of your optic. The, the dot will be above it, if you will. Uh, and it's a personal preference. Either one's fine. Uh, but if you're buying an optic for your handguns, you just need to make sure what that dot is is supposed to be run with, is whether it's an absolute or a lower third. Um, so yeah, um, John, do you you run dots? Don't you? <clears throat> I just started running dots. Okay, but... so do you like the absolute co-witness or a lower third? If you had to choose one, lower third. I'm a big fan of the lower third now. Okay. Yeah. Um, Snob, uh, you have a lot of dots. Do you like an absolute or lower third? As lower far as the third. visual. I do not want the sides of my window really, just barely at the bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess if, if that's something that you start out with, um, to me, it's just weird. Like, to me, it's to me, it's almost like more of a hassle to worry about if that dot's sitting right on top of that front sight. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh. So I, I like the lower third as well. Uh, Chase, what about you? I'm a lower third guy, and it doesn't yeah. matter if it's a handgun or like a like an aim point on an AR or whatever. Yeah. I like lower third okay. in general. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm a big lower third too. Like I said, I, I think that um, Clover, um, you know, you might you might None like an absolute uh, for None especially like 22 precision. None of the above. None of the above. What do you you're like? Talking, you're talking about a composition setting. And I'm signed up in an optics division. And even yeah. if my site went bad, I'm screwed because you're not going to be able to switch divisions in the middle of a match. So yeah. I don't even bother with, with, I, I strip like my book marks that have optics. They're, they're stripped. I mean, smooth barrel, you know, yeah. smooth back, smooth uh, top plate. Yeah. Yep. So it's you almost refuse to wear, do you use optics on your handguns at all? Period. What do you mean? You don't you don't like to run optics in general. You don't like you you're, you're starting to like I right, you've got a couple but outside you of generally a, outside of a outside of a competition setting, you typically no, do not. Yeah. I really don't. Yeah, I really don't. Now I'm not I'm, again. I'm not opposed to it, and yeah. it's moving that way. And probably sometime this year I'll have to start dipping my toe into it a little bit. But um, yeah. But currently, no, it's all competition settings. So you know, if it goes down, it goes down. I just lose a match or whatever. It's not life or death. Yeah. Once you go dot, you can't go back. <laughs> that I think that, that that's why I am that's why I am very hesitantly getting into the uh, handgun dot game because I'm afraid I'm going to like it, <laughs> and, and that's of, just more of, toys I'm going to have to have. You know? I know that that's the problem. That's the problem. Um, and one of the yeah. things, one of the things about buying a handgun is that some of them you will have to remove the rear sights in order to put the red dot on. And that's what I'm not a big fan of. Yeah, I mean, some of your, you know, you, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, was you say, I thought that too, but to be honest, I could care less if it has a rear sight on it. I could care less if it has any sight on it, to be honest. Even a defensive handgun, you don't need yeah. them. You got that window, it even really if your not. window's blocked, your optic's yeah. gone, it's you're still going to hit center mass. Point, point shooting. Yeah, point yeah. shooting. Yeah, I 100%. mean, it's point shooting. And and to this very day, inside probably ten yards, uh, maybe at least seven yards. Um, in a self defense, when I'm practicing, I very rarely even use my sights at that moment. You, you've, you've done in so many shots with muscle memory. You're gonna if, if you're if you're if you've been decent enough for a long time, your muscle memory is gonna get that gun up in a, in a spot that probably inside ten yards. 
you're going to hit the oh, silhouette yeah. without even coming close. You're going to hit where your thumbs are pointing. Absolutely. No problem. And, and yeah. you know, I've had a lot of people say, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you take a piece of blue masking tape and put it over the rear sight on a iron sight or right over yeah. the optic and still shoot at 10 yards and you're still going to hit the silhouette with every one of your shots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No doubt. hundred uh, percent. There's a great question out here um, for Marcus. He says, what zero do you guys zero your ARs with iron sights with older eyes? Let me do 50 yards. So um, I'll, I'll tell you this much. Um, I, it sounds weird, but I match my irons to whatever my optic is. So the rifles that I use, the 36 yard zero with my optic, I will also zero the irons at 36 yards as well. Uh, typically, um, and the ones that I use, the 5200 yard zero, I will zero the irons at the 50 yard zero as well. Now, in generalities, I probably think the 50 yard zero is a great, uh, a great zero for irons just in general, because once again, you're going to be able to hit it 50 and the 200 in the same spot, basically. Uh, and everything in between that is going to be relatively easy to hit. So I suggest personally a 50 yard, but I, I match whatever um, my optic is zeroed at. I match my irons with. Does anybody else do that or just throw it out there? What do you guys um, zero your, your irons at? Yeah, I tend to match. Yeah. Because if, you're in, the, if you're in the field, right? I mean, I see, I see why some people would want, like if you had – some kind of 45 degree offset irons or something. I mean, sure. I, I can, I can yeah. see that, right? Closer shots or whatever. Yeah. But if you're talking about a situation where you're going to have to yank the optic, I mean, your optics failed or something and you got it. I mean, it, it, for me, it needs to be consistent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Chris, Oh yeah. Go well, ahead. Go ahead. Run, go ahead, no, go run ahead, through the, run ahead. through the room because yeah. this kind of changed what I got kind of, okay. it, it adds to this, but it's not. The okay. Same well, let's just start with Chris then. Uh, iron sights. What do you typically zero your iron sights? Or do you zero your iron sights? I, I or do you mean, even have iron sights? On I don't even have iron sights on any of my <laughs> carbines, rifles, nothing. No. I've, yeah, it's terrible. So I if don't. your optic goes out for some reason, you're screwed for the most part. Spray and pray. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. I'm the same way. I don't even have iron sights on my rifles either. There you go. Uh, John, what about you? What do you typically zero your irons at if you do have irons? If I have irons, I zero them the same as the optic, but I've been in a class where my optic has shut off and I just keep point shooting through the yep. optic. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. Um, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's on a pistol, John, not on a rifle. <laughs> no, we're talking. We're, no, we're I'm talking. Trying, I've done it on a rifle. We're talking too. rifles right now. Yeah. Iron yeah. sights on the rifles on an AR. Um, Chase, what about you? On an AR rifle, first of all, do you have irons? And two, what do you zero those things at, or do you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've got basically every one I have has irons on it, be it backup iron sights or just strictly irons. I've got some yeah, old A2s sure. and stuff. On the like the old A2s and things, it's the old school 25 meter battlefield zero because I sure. have the you know A2 adjustments on them. On you know, stuff with optics, I match the optics. So if I'm running a 25-meter battlefield zero or if I'm running the 50-yard rule or whatever, it's going to be matched. Right. Um, Snob, what about you? Match it. Mark, match it? Okay, yeah. I think that's probably um, probably 
the safest way. Uh, once again, if, if, if you're zeroing your irons and you're trying to, you know, like I said, matching the optic zero, what it does is basically if you do it right and you're something for some reason, your optic, the battery goes down or breaks, whatever it doesn't, just, it just stops working and you have to go to irons. You don't have to worry about adjusting anything. It, it, if, the, if they're zero, the same, then, um, you're not going to have to worry about um, adjustments and all that. So, Clover, you were going to bring up something, maybe almost like a palate cleanser or at least a, an extension of this conversation. Yeah, no, we started talking up? irons. We started yeah. talking irons. And so this gets into a very important part of irons is what is your – what hold do you prefer in irons? Do you prefer a 6 o'clock, a sub, a combat, a center? I mean, what kind of, what kind of sight picture, right? Yeah. Um, typically, um, I like, I like a center post, uh, one that's going to be kind of like, right. You know, if you're talking about center post, you're talking about like right in the middle, no, um, where you hold on the target. Like yeah. I, I'll always hold it right in the center. That's what I typically like to do. Um, like you line, like you, you, your, your rear front and rear are straight across are straight across. Correct. And you center it into the target. Correct. Yes. Okay. That's how so, I that's how I like to use You're irons. probably you're that probably also, that's also how I learned how to shoot irons. Okay. You're so. talking combat hold. So combat yes, hold I am. Little, combat hold is a little different than center hold is a little bit lower than combat hold. Okay. Right? I'm talking combat hold. So Whatever. You're, yeah, you're talking yeah, combat hold. That's yeah, how right. I learned for obvious reasons. That's how I yeah. learned to shoot yeah, the yeah, uh, yeah, M16A2. So So for defensive, yes, I like a combat hold cuz that's a true hold, right? Yeah. Um and then for competition or for longer range, and that's typically because the, the targets, even at a shorter range, when you're talking handguns especially, you know, if you're talking a bullseye competition, you know, you've got a the bullseye is the width of a 22, for example, right? right? Yeah, yeah. So it's very, very small. And so if you try to do a combat hold or even a center hold on that, um, you're covering up part of the target right I, 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 yeah and, and so, actually i, I get that so yeah, 100%, the same way yeah. same way if you're talking at 100 or 200 yards with an ar and iron sights that post can cover your target right yeah so no, a lower hold for me is more optimal depending on the visual size i don't know how to is it is it like a target. lower third or when you talk when you talk about a lower hold like how much how much below center are you talking so on a so on a so if we're talking an ar15 with irons at 100 yep. yards right so you've got you've got the center x which you take the the standard silhouette target right sure yep and you've got what is it three you've got that center ring that's like the x the nine and uh -huh. the eight maybe or something so mm -hmm. I usually go like right below that, everything level, and then right below that. So kind of like a six o'clock hole, but it's not six o'clock on the silhouette. It's six o'clock on center mass, right? I got you. So on the yeah. on the on that on that ten ring, the bottom of it. Uh, are you talking like the bottom the, of the like nine or the, the eight? More like on about the eight ring. Okay. To, okay. I'll have to okay. Pull up a target. To I got sure. you. No, I no, I hear what you're saying. What is that? It's the B. The B fifty two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was right. I was like, "That's a that's a freaking plane." But it is a plane. Yes, it is. Uh, let me look at it real quick. Fifty target. Bring it up. Just look at your text. Oh yeah, there the nine. Go. So the nine. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The nine ring. Okay, so yeah. you hold the yeah. bottom of the nine ring. Okay, yeah. I got you. Okay, and I've got a little more play, right? With the with the. I mean, you're shooting for center mass, and nine's good enough. 
So let's go around the room. Let's start with Mike. And um, so what kind of, of site picture are you looking for? What kind of hold are you looking for with your, uh, your open, your iron sights? Are you looking for a combat, whatever Clover is calling a combat and, or a center or a lower? Um, what, what are you looking for? Do you like when you line up your irons, are you trying to go, um, Rear sights, front sight, and middle of the target all aligned into one. Is that what you're looking for or what? Yeah, pretty much. Just just all centered. You know, have a, have iron sights like, you know, in the front and rear. Just all centered for me. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, Chase, go to you. What, what, are you, what are you kind of looking for when you're talking with irons? Uh, what, what sight picture are you looking for? Yeah, honestly, it depends on the platform and the distance, but it's either going to be a combat or a center. Yeah. So the uh, I'm looking at the text. So I've never heard of the combat versus center. I always thought it was kind of a center, but so the the base. What you're saying is, is the in the the combat, you're just splitting the fucking pie and everything. The, the, so, the center hold yeah. you're taking the so, you're taking the top of the front sight just below the point of impact, right? So take your, so take your, take a round target. Yeah. Divide it in half horizontally. Okay. Sure. Okay. So you've got a round circle. It's cut in half. You got two halves of the pie, right? Top half, bottom uh -huh. half. Okay. So yeah, snob just put it up. The combat, the front dot is in dead center with a center hold. The line across the level line across the dots is dead center. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then with a six o'clock, you'd just be up below the bullseye. Yeah. Yeah. And then with yeah. a sub, with a sub, you would be just below the entire target in that picture. That would be called a sub, where the entire circle is yeah. sitting on that front sight. Now, I definitely understand the value of at least a center hold, if not the sub hold, for competition when you're talking about trying to be able to see. That yeah, you gotta bullseye. be able to see your shots, right? Yeah. You want to be able to see your shots. And maybe that's why I've always used a combat yeah. when, when I was taught that way, but there's a reason why. It's a combat. You're not trying to be precise. You're just trying to center mass it mm -hmm. and hit that target. Right. And you know, however right. you get wherever you gotta hit right. it. So with that center, with even the with even a center hold, because imagine a center hole and you hit a little low, right? Yeah. With the center or the combat in a in a competition setting, you're gonna have to break form and stuff, you know what I mean, to see yeah. your shots. Well, you and you're also that. talking about this is if you if you go with a center hold or even a sub hold, but you zero it that way, then you won't be missing low, you know. Right. True. So yeah. yeah um, but if you forget, or depending on what this you're is doing, true, this is true. You know. This but here's true. the thing. Here's the thing. You can see if you're talking about defensive use, you know, I typically I typically will do you know a center hold combat hold because either one of those is close enough. Let's be honest. Yep. Like Once either again, of the three yeah. you're seeing on the screen will get it done from a defensive use. Yes, you're you're worried at that point in a defensive use. You're literally worried yeah. about ending the threat, not yeah. putting bullets through the same hole. Yeah, as long as you don't have that center dot way high or way low, you know, yeah. like you're good. You're good to go. Um, guys, throw it out there. Which of these three, uh, of those three, throw it out there. Uh, what do you guys prefer as far as your sight picture? Dot the eye. Dot the eye. Okay, so you're more of a center hold kind of a guy. I like the six o'clock. Oh, the six o'clock. Mm -hmm. Okay. I like right on top. I like the center hold. That's okay. My, that's my go-to. Okay. Center hold for me. 
Nice. John Chase, do you have a preference on the three of them? I'm center hold, but I wish I had the, the stuff. It all depends on the iron sights for me, really. Yeah. Because when I was sh- teaching youth riflery, the air guns all have different sights on them. And it all depends on how the hold is for what the sight is, actually, on some true. of them. Yeah. And yeah. Did, some of them have, like, the circle. If you've seen them, they're just the a globes. circle. Target globes, yeah. Yeah. So it all depends on that. But for me, for pistol, it's 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 center hold. Yeah. Well, target globes or peep sights, right? Um, you know, you just got to, you've just got, where instead of having dots on the other side, right? So, yeah. or ghost, ghost ring or whatever, right? You've got a circle and then you, you line the center post up in the center of that circle and then put it where you need to put it, right? Um, and then when he's talking about globe, which is more of a competition site, you have circles inside a circle, right? So you would have a circle around the outside of this target, and then you would have another inner circle that you would line up, and you would want equal distance on all sides of that circle. You feel what I'm saying? And then center that up over the black spot, just to kind of explain what John was talking about. Did I get too fud on everybody? Apparently. Okay. Well said. I'll give you that. No, you, no. You what I said. <laughs> no, you didn't. I, love, I was, I was, I was muted. Sorry. I love target now, sites. Like target no. sites now, are freaking amazing. Like you cannot now, get any more precision than target sites. Oh yeah. Now, just to mess with Trey, you have to do the Vernier Tang site now. Shut the hell up, dude. I'll let you do that. You go ahead. Just, just stop. <laughs> just stop. I'm, I'm, I'm butted out for the evening. So. We'll do, that stuff. we'll do that. We'll do that after. You're, you're going to send me to the hospital with you know what my rashes and all of that. Hey, that is like original OG precision site, man. Once again, you know, you're going to send me to the hospital with as rashes. As long as it is not a semi buckhorn rear, the semi buckhorn. Oh, I love a buckhorn rear site. I know you probably do, but I, they, I can, I can, I could kill a deer with one. But as far he's as from Oklahoma, of course he does. Like <laughs> semi buckhorn just throws me for a loop. Yeah. I'm not a buckhorn fan either. It's okay. I've never, I mean, I've, it's I've functional. That site. All right. I mean, so uh, let's run through the room real quick and, and, and kind of do this question. Um, the most important thing that if you were to give advice to someone who's new that's asking you about zeroing, what's the most important thing that you would want someone to know about zeroing? I'll start with Mike. Uh, what, what's What's the most important thing that you need someone who's a beginner to understand about zeroing? For for a pistol or rifle? In in general, zero is zero. It's what's the oh. most important what's important thing that you would make sure that someone that you're teaching understands about zeroing? For me, I would say get a get a get a resting bag. And I would say just like like if you, like if someone wants to start off zeroing an indoor, for me it'll be a either a tripod or a resting bag. Uh, use use a tool to to zero out where your shots is at. Like I would say, start off at like five shots at 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 least twenty yards. And if you're shooting if you're shooting at least five shots at twenty yards, I'm like okay. If your shots are aiming to the right. Use those use those shots first and center the red dot on where those shots gonna be at if if that makes sense. I'm not I'm not mu- I'm not much of a teacher. I don't 
I can't really teach someone how to how to center in a, a red dot, but that would be well. I'm not favorite. I'm not worried about red dots, man. I just just in, in general, um, like you know, zeroing. just yeah, just zeroing in general. Uh, let's go with clover. What's the uh, you've done this a ton of times with kids and all that over the years, but what's the most important yeah. thing that you want to make sure that, that someone gets the general idea about the zero? Basically, go slow and take your time, right? Yeah. Realize yeah. that it's it's point of aim equals point of impact, right? That's the goal. That's the very, goal. Yes, it's yeah. a very simple concept. So don't overcomplicate it. You know, don't just don't do it. And if you take your time, I mean, you're going to figure. You know, you'll get it figured out. Yeah. Um, you know, the the calmer you are about it, the more methodical you are about it. Like, right, if you have to, if you if you're afraid you're not going to remember, you, you adjusted eight clicks left or whatever. Take you a notepad and write that down every time you make that's, a click adjustment. That's write it what down. I was. That's what I was going to say. And if you need to back it up, you don't got to waste another round. You can just reach up there and oh, it's eight clicks, eight clicks, and you're you're you know you're back to where you should be, right? Yeah. Um, so I guess that. And then if we're talking about magnified optics, especially. Sure. Keep in mind that that point of aim versus point of impact. When you start talking about zooming the magnification, um, that point of impact will likely shift a little bit. So yeah, that's that a question that I forgot to bring. I had on my list. I totally skipped over it. Uh, let's run through this real quick. Uh, let's say let's say a uh, a magnified optic. Let's say either LPVO or just a. We're not talking about a a, a fixed magnification. Just a variable magnification. For bolt action, I always zero mine on the highest magnification. Uh, what do you guys do as far as when you have a magnified or a variable magnified optic? Do you what magnification do you typically zero in? Is it the, the, the highest magnification, the lowest, somewhere in the middle, or what? That's one for anybody. I go lowest. You go lowest. Yeah. Uh, anyone? I don't crank up my magnification anymore than I need. Now, keep in mind, most of my precision stuff is all first focal plane anyway, and that's a story for yeah. another day. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that in another one. As a matter of fact, tomorrow night, tomorrow night, go check out Chris. Chris is doing a live chat tomorrow night, and we're going to be talking optics. And I'm sure first, first, second focal plane will come up, I'm, I'm assuming. Um, I'm sure. So we'll, we'll, we'll dive into that one. If you're talking ahead, about ahead. yeah, if you're talking about focal plane, Chase is right. So I never, I never shoot at my maximum magnification. Neither to do me, I. To me, max magnification. Let's say you have a, let's say it's it's a four to twenty four. Odds yeah. are, I'm never going to get past sixteen or something yeah. with a shot. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah. never going to do that. So the other ones are for scanning, right? Yeah. And for spotting. Yeah. And I'll run it up for that, and then run it back down. So let's say that my effective range of use in that is four to 16, right? Okay. I will usually zero somewhere around halfway in between. Around 12-ish or so? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to piggyback off of what Clover said because that was something that Don't I Don't really do that. Struggled. He doesn't need to be an ego boost here. <laughs> well, that was something that I really struggled with when well, I, I piggybacked off Chase, so it's all good. scopes <laughs> was I thought that I had to have, oh, they got a 6 to 24. I got to have that, you know, and I'm mm -hmm. cranking that thing all the way up. And then the the more that, you know, the more I shot and the more I got into guns, I realized, like, man. So I thought you were going to say you're cranking all the way up and your target's like jumping all over the screen. You know, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, this is so, true. This is true. Yeah. yeah. So unfortunately, yeah. unfortunately, magnification also magnifies your movements and, and errors does. that you make. Every so. breath you yeah. take. Yep. 
Yeah. Um, I, I typically like, like for my, my long range rifle, it's a 24. I will zero it at the 24 magnification, but I have never gone above probably 16 or 18 in a competition all the way out to 1400 yards or whatever, you know? So, uh, I, 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 I zero it at the maximum. Um, but I, I don't, I don't ever use maximum. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Um, snob, um, first of all, where do you, what's going to kind of do both questions and ghost you here. Where, what magnification on like a scope do you usually uh, zero? And then more importantly, what's the most important piece of advice to give to someone who's learning about zeroing? Um, I typically use the minimum magnification. Now, sometimes yeah. on like a one to six or something, I'll crank it up to two or three. But yeah, I typically use the minimum like on a four to 12. Four to 12 is kind of my go-to yeah. power on a bolt action. And I like this zero on it four because that's plenty powerful for 100 yards. Sure. And... Most important thing you tell someone, figure out a way that works for you to zero it, play around with it, do it above, yeah. and enjoy it. And yeah. take your time and count your clicks. Don't just do like me and just say, ah, yeah, a lot of the, the optics, the scopes that are variable, um, especially for the variable um, magnification. But a lot of scopes these days will have uh, a lot of the modern ones will have a zero a zero stop to where wherever you're dialing it'll you know once you set your zero you can kind of sit there where you turn it and it'll you turn it all the way back and it'll go back to your original zero that's a nice thing to have I like the idea about saying whatever whatever you like however you choose to zero your optics figure out what works best for you and don't let anyone as long as it works. Don't anyone tell you that you're doing it wrong. I, I mean, that's pretty good advice. Find, find a system that works for you and utilize it. Uh, Chase. But I like uh, telling people they're wrong. Yeah, it's Well, fun. because everyone is wrong compared to you. So, um, yeah. 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 And remember, like most optics do have a, like the little bump, notch, screw, something there that marks their optimum magnification power. Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely. That's, that's generally the sweet spot that's going to make it easy for General usage, zero, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, John, bring you in. What's the what's the biggest piece of advice that you want people to understand when it comes to zeroing? Don't chase the round. Shoot yeah. for group. Shoot for group, and then adjust. That's the biggest thing I saw when teaching kids is they chase around the round trying to fix it. Just shoot for group, and then learn from there. That's yep. more important if you're not shooting from a rest, I think. Right. If you're shooting prone or, or yeah. offhand, yeah. yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but, but in generalities, it's a good thing as well because there are going to be people, especially beginners, or, or I should say, maybe beginners, but more inexperienced uh, shooters and the zeroing side of things. Oh, I've seen people. They're, they're going to get upset that they're missing six inches to the left and thinking they're doing something wrong. Hold center mass and try to get good groupings and then figure out, was it a flyer or is that where it's supposed to be or where it needs to be adjusted? You know, go ahead. Well, I've even, I've even seen, you know, I'm not necessarily looking to say newbies, but I've seen people take a rest and they'll lean on it or they'll lean into it or they'll, you know what I mean? And sure. that's going to affect your shot. Like you're oh, the yeah. whole point of the rest is you're not really supposed to be holding it at all. No, all you're, you're doing is pulling the trigger. trigger. Yep. I mean, I've seen kids shoot clovers 
and then there's really yeah i wish sorry. i wish they would i'm sorry i'm sorry well uh, i've seen them shoot you know clover size Horrible. real Horrible. tight groups but they're six inches off to the right and, and they get upset ups- about it they get upset yeah. and you go no look you shot a perfect group all right. we gotta do is figure is out what it. you're doing and adjust it yep and it may be and, and a lot of times you're not your doing form. anything it's just that's right. just the where the, the the optic is zeroed or is this pointing well, they could be canning the rifle, right? They could, could be. be. There could be something with their form or their trigger pull that is is consistent. It's off, but it's consistent. You know, that is something we didn't bring up, and that's something that I always use. I don't know if you guys do, but the little magnetic levelers. Um, I always try to put a leveler on top of my rifle when I'm zeroing to make sure that I'm not canting a little bit, because sometimes you may not realize you're canting a couple degrees, and that does change everything. You know. Uh, Chris, bring you in. Um, what, as far as a piece of advice for someone that's getting into the zeroing game, what's the biggest piece of advice you can give? I mean, personally, I would kind of just kind of like what John was saying, just, just kind of keep it simple, get that group and then adjust. Cause I mean, we covered a lot of stuff over two hours time and, you know, you start yes. talking about trajectory and all that. I mean, it, it, it can get really complicated real quick. Um, I think the best thing to do is just pick a distance you want to zero at, zero at that distance, you know, start getting your shots and then, you know, move on from there. Really. I yeah. mean, well, and, and if you, if you're unable to get a group, something is wrong and you'll yeah. never be yeah. able to sight it in if something is wrong. Yeah. So right. like you've got a loose mount or, you know, something yeah. weird, you know, it's, it's, you know, you're talking about an issue with the bedding or, you know, maybe one of the stock screws is loose or, you know, there could be any number of things and you're getting inconsistent groups like you'll never. I mean, they're both. I right ran into that uh, in my very first long crap range. Crap ammo does it too. Or crap ammo. Yeah. I ran into that situation in my first match ever. Long range match is <clears throat> I didn't realize it, but my uh, my mount had become a little loose. And it threw off. I had to go like I, I I had to skip like two or three stages because I had to go down to the zero range and tighten everything up and, and put some more Loctite on there and make sure that it was good to go because like I would have one and the spotter was like, dude, you're missing like 18 inches left or next one is nine inches right. And he's like, what the hell? You know, um, so I had I had my my mount came loose and I didn't realize it because it wasn't like wobbling. It was just a little bit, but just a little bit can change everything. So yeah. Um, for me, I'm going to, I'm going to piggyback. God, I hate doing this. My God, I'm going to piggyback on Clover. And he brought up something uh, that I think is absolutely crucial um, because you're understanding a lot of different things, write everything down, go get a dope book. And if you don't know what a dope book, it's, it's pretty simple. Go find a dope book. Um, or just get a notepad, but understand what ballistics are and how everything is doing, but write down, you know, everything, every adjustment that you make and, and try to guesstimate. Everyone's got a weather app on their phone. When you go out to zero your rifle, kind of pull up your weather app and it'll say, okay, well, it's 73 degrees with seven degree, a uh, seven mile hour wind from the east or whatever. And write that down and say, okay, here it is. And if you have to make an adjustment, so I went 17 clicks to the left and 14 clicks up or whatever it is um, to, to get that zeroed. And so you have an idea of that zero, but you're also having that zero 
under specific weather conditions because let's let's admit that what your zero is at 76 degrees with a five mile an hour wind is going to be different when it's 43 degrees and a 20 mile an hour wind, obviously, uh, or even a 10 mile an hour wind. Uh, I like the idea of writing everything down because one, you have a base to go back and look at more importantly, the more you write the stuff down, you'll probably start understanding what you're doing a little bit more. Like if they have a picture of a target, you write like your grouping. Okay. So here's my first group. And it was, uh, you know, six inches left of, of my point of aim. And you write down a oh, wide clicked, you know, I went over 17 clicks or whatever the click is that you're going at, write all that stuff down. Um, if you're able to write it down in crayon, I, I, I recommend crayon, um, because it won't, it won't go away in rain, but uh, for other reasons also, plus you have snacks, but, uh, I love the idea of being able to write that stuff down because it, not only does it give you a point of reference that you don't understand yet, but it also, you'll learn a lot from doing that as well. So I don't, do I even want to know what's going on in the back chat? I, I don't think I do. Well, go first. Oh. The other thing I would suggest is this. Hey, do you guys got stray lock on your phones? Oh yeah, for long well, distance, yeah. it's great. You got that. everything. For if you're shooting long distance, you can put your load data in. It'll automatically pick up the weather, the humidity, the wind, everything. So if you if you're getting into that angle of precision, it's spend that. I think this was eleven bucks to get this app and just have everything you need right there in your hand because it'll tell you adjustments even to your scope. Yeah, uh, straight logs good without getting too in-depth in the money if you want to spend a little more and get the super advanced engines you can get like the knight's bullet flight or get the applied ballistic software and that will... is great horny actually has a decent one it's free it's limited but it, it's decent you know what i'm saying um i just bring my algebra teacher out to the range it's like it's all good I mean, it's literally all you're doing. You're literally doing trig on the range. People don't and, realize and it. That's a good thing. That's a good thing to 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 point out here. Like, how many times do you go through high school and it's like people go, "Oh, you'll never, you'll never use that again. You'll never use that again." If you are into firearms, if you're into guns, be it reloading, precision, long range shooting, all of the stuff we talked about tonight, for sure, you're going to use algebra and geometry, like. Every single day. Yeah. See, I'm like mid so I, I use I use a Kestrel, um, and that does. If you guys are interested in Kestrels, are kind of a handheld device that'll help you. Yeah. Uh, and those are great. But if you're looking for apps, yeah, there's a bunch of just apps you can get, you know, on your phone for free or a very small price. Um, but once you kind of get into maybe a competition, a Kestrel is going to be extremely important for sure. Go ahead. What What's real fun is getting into competition where you're not allowed to use a Kestrel or a rangefinder. That's gets yeah. real fun. So that's one of the things that I love about the long range. I'm a math nerd. Um, I'm not very smart, but I can do math. And um, the whole side of the long range with the math is awesome. It's fun. Like you said, you're doing, you're doing all sorts of geometry, algebra, trigonometry, you know, calculus, You've got to you've got to figure out a lot of stuff, um, and it, it's just it's fun. It's fun that that side of it. I think that's where I kind of really got fun into it. Is 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 that side? Yes, hitting steel at a thousand yards is fun, but learning how to get to that point, and then kind of doing the formulas and doing all that, and then getting the Kestrel out, and kind of seeing like what did my mathematics and what the Kestrel come up with. 
like how close is it? And, and if you do it right, they're going to be, you know, pretty damn close, you know, uh, real quick. Oh, yeah. Uh, rapping Alaskan. Love the name, by the way. Great stuff, guys. The amount of different videos out there can make things confusing. Just keep things simple and take the time to know your setup. Exactly. Um, the most important thing that I think with zeroing is before you do anything, you have to make that conscious decision of what are you using that firearm and that zero for. And that's going to help you a lot as to how you're going to zero, what distance you're going to zero, uh, what kind of optic you're going to get, all of that stuff. Before you do anything, kind of make that conscious decision of what you're utilizing that zero for, and that will help a long way. There are a lot of great videos out there. There's a lot of great videos by people on this panel that have done stuff. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of great videos out there. That is, and, and there's going to be a lot of information. Pick one. I will say this. Pick one style of whether it's a 50 yard zero or 100 yard zero or whatever it is whether it's going to be a three shot group a five shot group find something that you're interested in, and then go try to find and watch as many videos on that specific type of information and see what people are saying you never can tell uh g webs out there real quick says ar-15 is your introduction to sighting into a rifle's point of aim on a target whatever um so um yeah he's got Damn, over half a million views on that September 16, 2011. He put the link out there. So go check out G's uh, introduction to sighting in a rifle point of aim on a target video. Uh, knowing G Webbs, he explained it greatly because he, he's, he's good with, he's got a gift of gab. So uh, he probably explained it very well. So, um, yeah, I've got I've got something a video. I've actually done it twice because I have had to update it. It was it one of my best performing videos. And I realized that with the advancements of optics and I had some questions on the original, right. That I needed yep. to update it, but it was sure. a, a trick. It was a trick to return your scope to mechanical zero. Uh -huh. that I picked up from an old crotchety old timer in a gun shop years and years ago. Um, and just type in close. Hey, we talk about Gary. We talk about Gary like that for anyway. man. Yeah. 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 No kidding. Uh, anyway, hit me up if you can't, if you can't search it through CloverTac and scope or something like that in a search. But, um, so it comes in handy if you, if you pick up a used optic yep. or maybe if you, if you swap a, um, a scope from one rifle to the next, or mm -hmm. maybe if you're having issues getting a zero or whatever, um, because it's a really quick way you need a mirror basically and a piece of glass. Yeah. Uh, and a flashlight, but it, it's a really quick way to get that scope back to mechanical zero, which gives you a solid starting point again, right? If yep. you again, if we're talking about something that's been on something previous and adjusted all different ways, so or especially if it's something that's been on the same rifle, but you haven't pulled it out in a couple of years and it's maybe been banging them back to the pickup or you know, whatever, there's all sorts of things that have, could have happened. Being able to do that, even on stuff that hasn't yeah, changed it rifles, to, yeah, it can help. It can, it can help, help to a certain extent to see. Yeah. Have is this op? Is this scope still functioning right? You know. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, let's kind of go through the room, and I want to let everyone have a chance to plug their channels, plug anything they got going on. Uh, let's start with Mike. Mike, uh, you want to plug anything for the channel or what you what, what you're doing right now? Uh well. Um, I am gonna I am gonna be doing a review on my Ruger Precision rifle um, coming soon, so be on nice. the look at look at that. Uh, I cannot I cannot wait uh, to show people that just just for you know somebody to see 
and then once I get that, I'll, I'll pick out which scope I'm I'm gonna get, do a review on that, and then go out to the long rifle range and do some videos on that as well. Awesome. So he like be fun. making he be making NRA too. Yes. Um, is everyone here gonna be at NRAM? No. Yes. Yes, I'll be there. Chase Chase who, who doesn't no? want to go. Chase doesn't want to go. But, uh, he's <laughs> obligated to are go. You, are you are you saying no because you're all the way in the West Coast? Oh no, I'm all on the East Coast, but I'm I'm going because I don't have a choice. Yeah, he doesn't right. have a choice. Um, he doesn't go to NRAM. He probably doesn't have a job come Monday. Well, he might. It all depends. Just fake a lion attack, and you'll be fine. It worked for shot for Paul. So that's this true story. This is that's true. That's my plan. What you talking about? Oh, all right. Except he's not going to wait till he gets out there to do that. He's going to no, do it a couple I'm, days ahead of time. I'm going to yeah. do it. Come on. I'm going to be like, Elizabeth, I'm coming in the middle of the conference room. Be all right. Chase is going to be the only one that books a fully refundable ticket to Indy uh, of the group. So there's going to be a reason why. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who, has a, who, has, um, who has like hunting in the area? Who has deers in the area so I can do some, do some deer shooting with, with somebody? Uh, you can deer hunt next year, but I'm pretty sure deer season's over. If you, if you want to go to jail, you can come here and and deer hunt. But uh, oh, you can you you can deer hunt anytime, like in the winter. Not here, you can't. Summertime. Not here, you can't. Can't deer either. Oh, I mean, you there can. Wants, you just can't get. Maybe cold. in Chicago, but yeah. you know. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I don't know. They allow deer hunting here. Well, well, in probably Illinois, not. Period. No, in, probably in not. Illinois. Period. I don't think they they allow that. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Um, John and, and Chris are Ohioans. Uh, they might know a little bit about Illinois. I mean, can you deer hunt in Illinois? <laughs> I have no idea, but we, we have a Chris, limited you? season here. Yeah, ours goes about two oh, months, we, and that's about it. Yeah. Oh, there's, yeah. some, there's some big deer in Illinois, and there's some good hunting in Illinois, but they have a lot of very strict stipulations in Illinois. Yeah, yeah. you can deer well, hunt in well, Illinois. We have, there's we have a way more... We have way more Strix. Yeah. Uh, since, I'd say the weirdest January. the weirdest state when it comes to hunting is Michigan. Uh, because, like, the state's, like, split in half between what you can use and what you can't use. And if you're hunting in the north versus the southern part of Michigan, you totally completely different rules, which is very strange to me, but it is what it is. Um, Clo- uh, Snob, I mean, Snob, let's go to you. Um you're probably not going to do anything, but if you were, like, where can people find you and, and, and what kind of stuff and things are you going to be doing? Yeah, I'm probably not going to do anything, but I do have two videos I really need to put out this week. I <laughs> understand. I got a Combat 19 slide from the Free Armory and a Thrive HD pistol optic from Zero Tech Optics. There you go. There you go. Um, well, I will I will say this. Uh-huh. I cannot, I cannot wait. I cannot wait to meet all the rest of the old guys and then Ram. Yeah, we are old for sure. Uh, I'm the youngest. I'm the youngest person on here, and I'm and I'm like, oh man, I'm so. Sorry. Uh, how old are you? You're kind of old. How old am I? Yeah. Are I'm you in your twenties? You're twenty-seven. Yep, twenty-seven. Oh snap! You are younger than John, barely, but you are younger than John, barely. Um, I mean, John's really like four thousand years old because he's a ginger that steals souls. He just this is true. Like this is less true. than thirty. Yeah, Quit giving my true. secrets away, damn it. You think they're secrets? <laughs> I am the Highlander. Yeah, something like that. Um, <laughs> you're something all right. Are you 50? I'm sorry? Are you 50? 
No. <laughs> Damn, do I look <laughs> that old? Damn. Close enough. <laughs> Shit. I'm I close, even, but I, I'm not there yet. I'm going to claim, you know, 40s until I can't, you know? Oh. Uh, <laughs> Oh, I even uh, I even thought I even thought Chris I even thought Chris uh, just turned fifty. I thought, <laughs> come on, man! I just turned forty-eight. Yeah, Chris I, I, and I are about the same age. Gilbert's a couple a years basket. younger. Uh, Snobs about our age. You're not forty yet, not. are you? I'm not even forty. I just turned thirty-nine <laughs> Saturday. <laughs> the tenth anniversary of your fortieth in your thirty-fifth anniversary. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, a lot of us are older, but uh, none of us are 50. I don't think snob, you're not 50, so I mean, speak for yourself, old man. Yeah, well, you, you're not even 40 yet, so nope, I'm still young and vibrant. Aren't you like a year younger than me, Chase? Yeah, I just turned 37. Oh, you're two years younger than me, then. Yeah, Yeah, you're not 40 yet, snob. No, I'm 39. I honestly, I thought you were like 42 for some reason, 42 or 43. I thought 84, model. He's trying to kill you faster. You look, you look forty-three or forty-four. Fuck off! God damn! Yeah. Well, you guys, you guys gonna have to teach me the game when I when we all meet. So what game? Any anything, (laughs) anything that y'all learned, like you know, back back in y'all twenties, really. Man, you didn't want to know me when I was in my twenties. I'm just saying, I was a <laughs> terrible person in my twenties. You would not You're want to know person, me. Chase, well, this is true too, but you definitely would not want to wanted to know me in my twenties. That's for sure. Uh, very few people, including my wife. My wife probably regrets knowing me in my twenties. So, I know. Uh, the tactical reapers out there. What's up, Grim? Uh, you got knives out there? Chocolate. Uh, Chase, what's oh, yeah. going on with EAA? Um, I know you guys have got some awesome things that are going on with the company. Uh, anything you want to maybe talk about real quick and let anyone know what's going on? Yeah, that's what I want to know. I mean, I'm just going to tell everybody they need to definitely stay tuned. Come in, Ram. <laughs> yeah, yes, boy. Yes, yes. There's, there's going to be some yes. new hotness. I can promise you that. I can't, I can't wait to do some interviews with them. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I can just, mm, Enrand's going to be fire for EAA. Just saying. Uh, There's going to be, trust me. And if you had seen all the, if you have seen, I know you saw a little bit, but if yeah. you had seen all the craziness that has come about in the last couple of weeks, it's even, <sighs> it's even more ridiculous. Lord have mercy. I'm going to need, I'm going to need a partner for in, for Enram. I'm, I'm, you, I'm scared. I'm scared uh, for these big shows. What do you mean? <laughs> You're fine, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in all seriousness, NRAM is not that bad. I mean, it's an easy to walk around and yeah, do it's a, a lot, it's a lot I mean, more I've laid been, back than others. I've, I've been, I've been to like you know small local like gun shows. But, okay, then yeah, like you're gonna big, get you might get a little overwhelmed, but it's nothing compared yeah. to shot. So it's it's still pretty laid back. Um, you, you'll just have fun with. It. I'll, I'll just say, just have fun with it and go with the flow. Remember, the big guys are like big companies are there, and me, bigger media yeah. is there, but. It's a consumer show, so it's yep. geared towards the public. So it's an easy way to approach people, because yeah. we're in the booth talking to everybody all day. So it's a yeah. it's not like shot where you have some specific meetings and times and appearances and all that stuff. It's much more like yeah, and, and sometimes just so they don't have to talk to the general public, if you walk by, they'll literally grab you by the shirt collar and pull you into the media room to sit down and just talk about stuff. 
Absolutely. And some people make up glam shots for their booth appearances. I'm well, just saying. This they do. Yeah, yeah. Is, is Paul um, going to be at Inram? He imagine. He wants to be there. I'm not. I'm not sure there. If he does, he's going to be my like. He's going to be the perfect way to advertise one of my new things. He's going to be the great. He's going to be the greatest old man to like show this thing off. (laughs) He's all feeble and stuff. I hope he's there. I hope he's there, but I want him to take it easy and just like hang out and and sit. You know, like just be be that. You know. He yeah. needs to he needs to chill out. And I mean he's ready to you know, he's I know. his brain is ready to get to it, his body's not. Yeah. Oh for sure. Yeah. The thing the the thing the thing about it is like, you know, for me starting off, still new to everything, you know, it's like, okay, what like like what am I gonna say once I walk walk up to one of the booths or one of the favorite companies out I like to, you know, shoot firearms with. Just you be know, yourself. That's, that's my uh, yeah. That's that's I my biggest concern. Just asking for hey, all the free stuff like Snob does. Yeah. Just say, hey, man. what are you going to give I me for free? Of each of these. Yeah. Works out perfect. And then I throw Clover's name out if that doesn't work. I'm like, yeah, but I know Clover Tech. That and works every time. Not, it works that every works. time to get thrown out. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Exactly. Security. Security. Yeah. Uh, you know, the biggest thing, and we can talk about this later on, but the biggest thing is be yourself. Yeah. Don't try to be yeah. someone that you're not. Uh, just have a conversation and talk. Um, if you're passionate about their stuff, they'll be able to pick up on that. Um, yeah. Don't be overly aggressive and all that. But uh, the um, biggest thing I can tell you, honestly, God, is you just have to figure it out. Like everyone, everyone has their own personalities. Everyone has their own delivery. Everyone has their own thing. You just kind of have to figure out by trying stuff and and whatnot. But basically, just be yourself and just have a conversation. That's the best thing. Uh, let's go to John real quick. Uh, anything you're in your world um, uh, is maybe especially with the, the, the puppy fund. Uh, yeah, the puppy got. So like I said, last week we were got an event in May that uh, Chris, you need to go to. It's right in your neck of the woods over at the, the humidor. I want to say it's a humidor over there in Zanesville. Uh, so going to, give that those guys at Southeastern guide dog. But I also want to talk about another charity that I'm really close working with. It's called uh, big league impact. It's with uh, MLB pitcher, Kyle Gibson. They do a lot of cool things, including a clay shoot in November. So uh, I just want to give him a shout out because he's been so gracious to that. The St. Louis and Philly area. and been, awesome. uh, been a great guy. Awesome. I love it. Love it. Thanks for going on, bud. Hope to see you in Indy as well. Um, one way or the Maybe. other. Maybe somebody somebody <laughs> drag me there, please. Uh, oh, I can I can drag you there. Um, yeah. Let's do it. Just kidnap me. That's I ain't doing it. And did you say that was free. Big League Chew? Is that what you said? Or one hundred percent? Yeah. <laughs> big League Impact. Uh, oh, Kyle, okay. I was just saying, he, Big League Chew is like. The does he throw Big League Chew at you? Is it great? Uh, I need to know. It's <laughs> got to be the great. It has to be the grape if it's going to oh, work. Oh, green apple. What are y'all talking about? Ooh, that's pretty good too. But I'm, I'm a grape guy. I'm a grape guy. Sure. I will just say if if I can get you guys into the next shoot as a team, we did a hundred clay f- flurry at the end, which was a freaking blast. Literally, that 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 doesn't really sound appealing to me at all. At all, shut up, you terrible person. <laughs> if it was if it was, competi- if it was competition, I would I would go, but not on clay. Yeah. Uh, uh, Chris, I'm gonna give you a chance to uh, bring in, bring it in, and uh, tell people where they can find you. I know you got a cool chat coming up tomorrow night on your channel, but tell people about the pro, the pro, uh, 
about the projects you have going on and all that jazz. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a couple videos coming out this week. Um, yeah, we're going to have a Wednesday night live chat tomorrow night at nine Eastern. Um, pretty excited about this show. We got a, we got some people coming on that I've never had on the chat before. And uh, uh -oh. so, um, yeah, I think we've got, we've got Eagle Run coming on. We've got Christian Gress coming on. It's going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. Um, as far as NRAM goes, I'm, I forgot to apply until yesterday. So I'm is waiting to hear is, back is from open? the NRA before I book my hotel. So is it open? Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Do not wait, do not wait on the NRA. Here's the, here's the thing. Here's they the may not ever secret. reply. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you're if you went through the process online, you're in. You're in. And okay. even if you're not, if you go and complain, you know, if you're not in the books, I mean, you're going to be able to prove who you are in an instant with pulling up a YouTube on your phone. So okay. it's, it's, yeah, don't, don't wait. And they'll print it out right there out. for you. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, don't. Is they registration not... open finally? I didn't know it was open. Yeah, it's open. Okay. So, it wasn't a couple days ago. Well, I so. didn't know that. Yeah. Well, I'm all, all right. signed up, so yeah. I have you go. I really appreciate I you. Yeah, bro. A link. I had a great 100%. time tonight. So Absolutely. Fun, so thank you. Yeah, it's you. it's always it's always interesting. It's always interesting for sure. Uh, Clover, bring it home. What you got? I, if you I, if you were I, going to do anything, what would it be? Not nothing. Absolutely nothing. Okay. So I've been I've been looking here real quick. Um, Illinois, not the worst state to deer hunt in. Um, actually fairly lax on their regular. I would imagine that, that like maybe um, New York might, or Washington DC would be the worst place to deer. <laughs> according to what I was reading, the deer population as of like an article from 2020 is actually yeah. overpopulated in Illinois. Which oh, is great. so they're probably getting and more tags out then. The only, the only requirement, obviously hunting license and where you hunt, you know, and that sort of stuff is, but that's anywhere. Yeah. Um, but the, the only the only stipulation really that I've seen, you've got to use 30 caliber or larger. I got you. Okay. So right. I'm, I'm uh, seeing early. for deer season, it's November 18th through the 20th and December 1st through the 4th. It's shotgun, muzzleloader, or handgun only. Yeah. Illinois. Yeah. I was always oh, so uh, right now. So right now at this time, it wouldn't be a good time to go. Hunting oh, you, you can, but you're going to go to jail probably. Yeah, you can, but you're not going to get like, I got somebody I mean, to hunt Illinois, right, but they have to not, shoot not slugs. Even, it's not even, it's not even worth it then. In Illinois, this. I was just looking and it said 30 caliber or larger. <coughs> they may have amended that. Like everybody I know who used to hunt Illinois, have a 30 caliber. it was muzzle loaders or slugs or bows. But there are some monster deer up there because, oh, yeah. especially like especially southern well, Illinois, especially if they're only been using muzzle loaders and bows, they haven't been killed forever. They're just growing yeah. and growing and growing. Dude, it's nothing. Um, if you've ever been to southern Illinois, it's nothing but cornfield and soybeans. Like it's. There's nothing there, so the deer it's, just it's eat. It's a lot of huge. deers. It's it's a lot. Like I've seen deers run run across the highway. I've seen like five of them just run across the highway. Even like some. I've got ten that live in my front yard at night, I so just, I could literally I go out my front yard if I wanted to. Looking for hogs. Yeah, yeah. I literally have a big family that hang out that sleep in our front yard at night. So um, I almost killed one with a RAV four rental. So what, what do you what do you be feeding them, girls? You must be feeding. Them I don't food. feed them anything. I just. Um, yeah, they just they they like where I live apparently. Ghost is the doe whisperer. Damn straight. Well, he's a he's a ghost he's a ghost whisperer. I'm the, I'm the Bambi whisperer. <laughs> so yeah. Oh. Uh, huh? I said um yeah. Oh yeah. He just pours ahead. out of he just pours out Tink sixty nine. 
<laughs> so I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know that the media. I didn't know the media mob was was open to in ram. I, is that is that what y'all were talking about earlier? I haven't mm-hmm. seen anything. I've yeah, seen I, it where it I, says, I, a couple days ago. It opened the fourteenth. I registered yesterday, the day before. Finally, okay. So I don't even see it. It wasn't there when I checked over the weekend. So I see for it like because when I when I looked on the site, it said like I went down to media and then press kit and then it said yeah, like, you're not gonna you're not you're probably gonna go on to be attend or something. It'll have something with media, but uh, we'll we'll figure it out on the after chat about that. I'll yeah, put the link well, in the side yeah. chat. Oh, there you go. Uh, nice. Appreciate there it. We go. There we well, go. Ghost, I, uh-huh. I appreciate you for uh, yeah, man. The link. You yeah, got it. So I gotta go. You have a good one, bro. Load, so, y'all gentlemen, take care. You safe too. Be you safe, man. Good seeing you, yes, sir. All right. All right. Um, Clover, go ahead and finish up. I know yeah, you got so some podcasts coming up, don't you? I do. Uh, tomorrow is is Bill with Patriots Farm Schools. Uh, met him at the uh, Guns.com party in, in the shot show. So yeah. we're going to talk about his farm school. And he wrote a book, too. Uh, I think it's like What Happens After the Bell Rings or something mm-hmm. having to do something with like that, like yeah. school security. Uh, and then uh, Matt from Meet the Pressers on uh, Thursday. And then coming go. up here. Pretty doggone soon is the uh, Ghost and Clover podcast. So yeah, the we've got. If you've noticed on my channel, on his channel, and the Ghost and Clover channel, we've already yes. scheduled the first three on March fifth. Will be the first one. Whenever I go through my subscriptions the other day, there was like eighteen of the same Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, well, it's one of those where we're going to, at least for the first maybe month or so, when we stream, it'll stream on all three of the channels. The Ghost and Clover channel, obviously, and then mine and Clover's. Uh, but Clover and I will probably, as soon as the stream's over, turn ours off on our channels, make it unlisted or whatever. And so the only replay will be available over Ghost and Clover channel. And then eventually we'll just transition over only over to the Ghost and Clover as, as it grows. But uh, obviously we want to get the maximum exposure to that that podcast but yeah it's going to start march 5th and uh, that sunday at 8 p.m and then we'll go every other week um and then obviously with nram and different events we'll have to figure out how we're going to schedule those but yeah uh for sure i'm sorry go ahead clover i, I keep interrupting your ass no i think i'm done i think that was it okay awesome uh as far as us yeah we've got <coughs> let me try to get to the range uh, this month has been absolutely awful weather-wise, and with my wife being gone, I haven't been to the range since before shot, but I've got a couple things I've got to get to the range and get taken care of. Um, I've got a couple of new series coming out um, on the uh, cooking side of things. It could be interesting. And then, uh, obviously, you guys, uh, if you don't know, we, do, we did uh, kind of relaunch our car channel. It's called Speed Limit 155. Go check that out. Clover and I did the first uh, podcast over there. He was a guest. We talked about our old cars and all that stuff. We're going to start maybe doing an, uh, an occasional live stream over there, but uh, having fun with the car chat as well. Um, but, yeah, uh, check out that. Like I said, we've got a cool guns that are going to be doing some stuff with, with some cool ammo that uh, we've got. Um, got a lot of stuff coming, getting ready to start showing up here um, pretty soon. Next week, guys. Next week is going to be a fun uh, show. We've got Core Elite Operations, Core Elite Ops, who will be joining us. And um, he's uh, a former SEAL that's now uh, doing um, some really cool stuff with rifles and some different accessories and uh, built 
the coolest, probably the coolest 50 BMG I've ever seen in my life. It's there uh, with those guys, but they'll be on next week. So uh, bring, make sure you show up for that one. It's going to be a really cool show. Really good guy. Uh, Josh is an awesome person, but uh, poor lead ops will be with us next week. So um, G says, I thought I was the first guest. I don't know what he's talking about. Maybe on Clover's thing? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, that's right. Oh, on, on, on the speed. Yeah. So, yeah, G and I actually did one at like 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, it was the night that um, I can't remember what was going on. I couldn't sleep or something. Or No, I was that was the night that we had the, uh, the flood that I couldn't get home. So I was at work until like 4.30 in the morning because I couldn't get to the house because of the flood. So it's like 2 or 3 in the morning I decided to go live. I had nothing else. And G jumped on. And we were literally just having a conversation because nobody was out there because it's a new channel and all that. But that was fun. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, that was a fun one. Um, but, yeah, anyways, guys, thanks for coming on. Thanks to Chris and to John, Chase, Snob, Clover, and to Mike for coming on. I really do appreciate it. If you guys have made it this far, uh, my God, has it really been two and a half hours? Is that right? My God, two and a half hours. That doesn't seem like that. Uh, God bless you because I wouldn't have been here for more than 10 minutes if I wasn't had to be but uh, thank you guys for watching and listening and replay and podcast form make sure you leave a comment if you're watching replay make sure you leave a comment if you're listening to podcasts and give us an old rating over there on the old podcast platform that does help with us getting uh, getting seen a lot so go ahead and, and give us uh, a nice little rating if you liked it if not go away so it's all good thanks guys for watching and listening we appreciate you guys we'll talk to you soon simplify